So I'm not an alien. I'm still an alien, but I'm not like a O one visa alien. Tell, de- describe to people what the difference is. Oh, are we rolling? Yeah. Describe to people what the difference is. First of all, tell everybody out there who you are first. You want to just like edit this in the, later? Nah, just go right through? to it. All right. I like talking about immigration, actually. It's one of my passion project topics yeah. because it's very expensive and very hard and people need to know because people fight so hard to just to, to get a race in this 500 million person race. That's all. Right. It's all guaranteeing you just a shot. At yeah. living here. Um, but I, my name is Shambudi. Mm-hmm. I, I go by, my name is really Miss Shambudram. I go by Shambudi. And I mm-hmm. talk about sex, love, and relationships for a living. Yeah, they know who you are. I fashion myself as. Because you've been doing your thing these last couple of years. Not everybody knows. I'm still not at that level. No, no, no. You're no, probably no. at that level. I'm not at that level. I'm not at any level. You but, are definitely at that but, level. But you, people know. Like, you're starting to, because what happened was, is there were multiple different people who were like, yo, there's somebody that you really have to meet and I was like yo man why do you, shout out to Weezy because Weezy, yeah. <laughs> is, Weezy, Weezy. is Weezy on your payroll she's 100% the reason for the season she's the reason why we're here right now yeah Weezy was like yo man you gotta blah 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 and then I started seeing you everywhere and then like you're, you're friends with Jeannie right yes so like everyone like everyone started to like just talk about how amazing you were at everything that you do. And you know not- what? It's not always, the conversation's not always how amazing I am, but that's generous of you to say. But well, I feel like I've it's heard. been a topic of conversation of late. But you're not, and, and but you're the here. kind of famous, Brianna, who's my new assistant, she was saying on the way here, she was like, Van, and then it was like, oh, that's the dude from the Kanye moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. that's the dude from this. Like, so right. you have a, that's the dude from name. Right, and so we're trying to get on from that into Van Lathan, which is about, actually it's happening. So, you know, it, it, it's it's happening slowly. But I didn't know that you weren't even from here, that you're Canadian. I'm from Canada. Yeah. You're from Canada. And you're uh and you were saying you're having you're having illegal problems, like you're here. No, illegally. I'm good. I'm excellent. I'm definitely good. I'm actually like almost double permanent resident because I got permanent resident by way of my accomplishments uh-huh. and then I got married in America. Mm. So now I'm like, did you get married tried... for the green card? No, I had afterwards. So I actually asked my current husband mm-hmm. while I was applying, like if push comes to shove, would you mind if mm-hmm. I used you for marriage? And he was like, I want to be clear. I have no interest in marrying you, but I will do you a favor and do this for you. And I was like, okay, cool. I was this is the worst proposal ever. Right. Um, but we didn't, <laughs> I didn't actually end up needing him because my accomplishments were enough. But right. now I have both. You have both. I got both. I got two cases. By the way, I know I people who I know people who've done the whole married to stay in the country thing. Oh, it's a wonderful thing. I mean, it, it, it's hard to do because I mean, it, it is a anybody who gets a legal immigration here or legal immigration some anyhow anyway it's hard it's hard and it's expensive right so if you're willing to put in that work then I think you deserve to be here now is it harder to become an American citizen than it is to become a Canadian absolutely absolutely what is the process if I wanted to like go and live in Canada and become a Canadian citizen. Like, what would I have to do? Do you do you know these things? I don't know, but I feel like there's several routes. Like you. Then can, how do you know it's harder then? Because I know people who've done it in reverse. Okay. I know a lot of people who've done it in reverse, mm-hmm. and I've never heard complaints. You, every person you talk to who has done it the way that I did it has like PTSD from how hard it is and expensive it is. So that's how I know. Can I ask you a question? Do tell. about Canada. Do tell. So I have several Canadian friends. A very famous one we just found out too. Uh, Matt Babel. Yeah. Uh, shout out I think to it's Matt. Babel, but it's, I, I, I call, I've been calling. I've been calling that nigga Babel. Okay. And so if it's Babel, <laughs> my bad, Matt. Matt is cool as shit. Has a brand new. Give it up for Matt, man. Yeah. Give it up for the podcast. Give it up for, Effective give it up for Matt. sperm. Yeah. He, uh, him, and Shay Mitchell. She is uh, amazingly talented and beautiful. Um, and they have a kid. But uh, the question is, 
the people that I know from Canada describe Canada as this sort of utopia where there's where it's super clean. Yes. There are no guns. There's very little violence that you guys got free health care and you guys got all of these things. Right. Do you know where these people tell me about Canada in America in fucking America? Yes. So I guess my my question is. <laughs> And I'm not the pro USA stars and stripes. It's not my thing. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a patriot. But it, I, I do want to know if Canada is so fucking great. Why do y'all keep coming over here? I mean, I think it's way better over here. Really, substantially better over here. But Talk about it. I also think that I have a very small niche. It's about numbers. Canada mm-hmm. has a population of about 30 million. Right. So that's California, Can- basically. Exactly. Or mm-hmm. New York City. Yeah. So for that reason, there's just not a lot of people. And although Toronto is very diverse, the rest of Canada is not. Okay. Yeah. Because I was in when I, I went and spoke at Humber College in Toronto, and it was insane the mm. amount of diversity that I saw there. I mean, like even. It was diverse even amongst the people of color. They all had different backgrounds. In Louisiana, where I'm from, we call diversity being half black and half white. We don't even really speak (laughs) about cultural diversity or ethnic diversity there. That's not even that's a pipe dream. We're talking about, you know, skews and and, and skin tones and stuff like that. But when I was in it, everybody was different. There were Sikhs and, you know, people from the Middle East and then the people from the Caribbean and all different shades and stuff like that was it was crazy. I was impressed by that. But you're saying it's not like that all over Canada. No, for sure. If you change um, Humber College, like Halifax, it's probably like 90 percent white. And even Vancouver, which is our other like hot spot to go to. Yeah. It's basically white and Japanese right, and Japanese. very like few and far between of anything else. But yeah, Toronto is very diverse. And so if you know how to make money in Toronto with, again, like around five million people, uh-huh. it's great. But my topic is so niche that I need more of a larger sample group. And also, too, that America entertainment here is global entertainment. Right. In Canada, entertainment in Canada for a very long time was just Canadian entertainment. Right. Drake was probably our first success story of like a global export. And then now there's oh, other wow. people. Oh, wow. You just going to fucking shit on Celine Dion like that? Oh, no. But like, oh, she's, fuck. she didn't open the door, though. Whoa. She did not open the door wow. to make. She did not. Deborah Cox, we had before. I get Deborah Cox. We had Glenn, Glenn Lewis. You guys, Glenn Lewis. You guys have had some people. But you just said our first global. Whoa. Question. I'll explain why, though. I'll say that. Go ahead. Because our it. first global export who was extremely Toronto-focused or Canadian-focused, who opened the door to right. create other pathways for Canadians to then access a global market while staying in Canada. Because mm-hmm. that's new. We had to always come here to make a living. I had to come here to make a living. I would right. never make anywhere close to the amount of money in Canada. I was in Canada for 10 years of my business before I moved over here. Right. And the growth I've had in five years is ridiculous in comparison. Who's the bigger star? I just had this argument with a couple of, of friends down in Miami. Who's the bigger star? The bigger Canadian star. I think you're going to say Drake of the Weekend? No, not Drake of the Weekend. Shout out to Weekend, who I, I, I ran into last week. It was fun, nice guy. Um, but Drake or Celine Dion? Who's a bigger star? I'll say Celine Dion. Okay. Yet you shit on her like that. Because I don't think that she created a, a market Jesus. for other Canadian artists to follow behind her. Let me tell you something. Do you know how many dudes Drake gave an 01 or an 02 to? What is, what is an 01 or 02? Like, oh, that, that, that fucking immigration thing? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like how many Canadian people he employed and brought this way? Or right. how many people he allowed to come after him to stay in Canada and make the amount of money or somewhat similar to what he's making? Drake hasn't broken artists, though. Um, 
that's arguable because the weekend is sort of arguable that he broke the weekend. No, the weekend broke away from Drake. Yeah, but the only way that he was able to get the first push before he was had a face. Remember, he had that faceless album mm-hmm. that was all via Drake's promotion. Uh, I'm not like you, an expert on you this. Because so. uh, you're wrong. Because I might be wrong. You know, you, you know when the first time I ever heard of the weekend was? You tell. They took high for this. And put it as the theme song to the last season of Entourage. So when you would hear, this had nothing to do with Drake. When you would hear Entourage, they'd be like, hey, well, that whole song was it. Then I was like, yo, who the fuck is that? And then people, we started talking about, then when it became OVOXO, it made The weekend like, it was like, okay, they're from the same place Drake fucks with The weekend, mm. But I don't think Drake can get credit for breaking The weekend. You know weekend. what it is? I graduated from school in 2008, God and damn. he performed, The weekend performed at my school at like a very small event. Right. And I don't recall there being any buzz. Drake mm. came out in 2009 or so, so and then 2011 The weekend came out. So I feel like he was the first person. Pour it up. But we that's di- what, agree to disagree. Remember he used to have that blog that was like a poppin' blog, Drake did, yeah. where he was like putting stuff out. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I think that he's gotten that kind of recognition. You don't go from Nowheresville in Toronto to getting a spot on the entourage without any type of pathway in between. Well, shit. I mean, uh, yeah, but what I'm saying is whether or not Drake was that pathway. But, when I, but to, to me, and this is, I use The weekend as uh, uh, an example when I'm talking to people. When... With Drake's uh, best album, Take Care. Drake's fantastic. The Weeknd's fantastic. That comes out very heavily influenced by The Weeknd. A lot of records were co-written by them and all that stuff like that. The Weeknd could have signed to OVO right after that. He didn't mm-hmm. because he realized that he wanted to be his own thing. He wanted to be a huge, gigantic pop star. So he does it. And then for a couple of years, you don't hear much from him. Then boom, when he comes back, I can't feel my face. It's all him. He believed in his fucking self. Now, that might have cost him his relationship with Drake. Maybe there was beef back and forth. People got to be willing, even in the face of a quicker route to success, people have to sometimes be willing to believe in themselves because who knows? A lot of those guys over at OVO are super talented. They all Actually, they all are. All of them are. But, you know. Well, it's a question of how do you assign credit? Like, how many people do you assign credit to where you are today? What do you mean? How many people are responsible for Van Lathan being Van Lathan, the brand that you are? It depends on how you define credit. Because like my my credit credit goes to my parents for keeping me alive. Okay, yeah, for, first and for foremost, yes. Credit goes to the people over at my 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 former job for putting me on television. But can you not legally say the name? I can say it, but I just don't want to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh. But credit. So they were the first people to out of nowhere. Well, no, um, I had obviously put myself in a position to be hired there. But here's the thing about credit. The credit for who you are can only come from you. Mm-hmm. The opportunity or the chance can come from anywhere. But it's always going to be you that gives you that that makes yourself a success unless you inherit something. Yes. So for me, the opportunity that that someone can give you uh, is is very important for as a catalyst for you to have the you know the chance to show who you are. But the credit ultimately has to be me. Mm-hmm. So the person that deserves <laughs> all the credit for anything that I've done, yes, is you. Is me. Okay. Now there are people that have been instrumental. My parents, Mouse, all of these people have been instrumental in helping me, and they deserve some credit. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day. The credit comes from me. Yeah. Okay. What is it that you do? 
I talk about sex, love, and relationships for a living. Mm -hmm. uh, my goal is to make people more competent and thus more confident. Mm -hmm. So it's a, a, a step in stone process. And I like to think of myself as a mixture of Rihanna and Dr. Ruth. <laughs> Rihanna and Dr. Yes. Ruth. Wow. How'd you come up with that? Why Rihanna and Dr. Ruth? Because I feel like um, I make my, my work is fun. And I had this whole situation that happened with the real a couple weeks ago. We'll talk and, about it. But I, the, the quote that I said is my work is fun, but it's not foolish. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not completely scholarly and Dr. Ruth asked um, medical on that field, on that mm -hmm. end of spectrum. I'm not going to show up in a blazer and I'm not going to show up in the way that you're accustomed to seeing an educator in this space show up. I probably would like to put more of a spin there. It's a little bit more cheeky. It's a little bit more sexy. It's more aspirational. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little it's a little wild. But at the same time, like there is a foundational basis of education in there. And I do have the intent to educate people so that they have a better sex life and a love life depending on what they want for themselves mm -hmm. so i feel like the merger you know is there probably is a better reference than rihanna but no, I'll, I'll fuck with it okay good because yeah. rihanna like no rihanna is very uh she's very alive yes and so everything that she does it comes with this like vibration you know like she it makes you feel like oh man i want to be a part of whatever wavelength that she's accessing it makes you feel like you, she makes you feel like a part of something because she's living what seems to be her true authentic life mistakes and all like just gives it to everyone so that's it doesn't seem it seems like you can grab onto it i'll take that i'll add that to my to my story as well too like i definitely use myself a lot like i am not ashamed of my story of my experiences mm -hmm. of like what i can bring to the space from a perfect uh a personal standpoint mm -hmm. i'm not an expert who sits atop the mountain of perfection and just says like i've done everything perfectly and right. try to model after me and here's a little bit of information like i'm down there with you mm -hmm. you know i've talked about getting an sti i've talked about toxic relationships that I've been in. I've talked about like my own experience and my journey, in my relationship, but I'm not above sharing that because I think that this is a lifelong journey, just mm -hmm. like your career. Nobody has it perfect at age 20 and like lands the dream job. And that's the end of their story. Like you're going to be a sexual person. You're going to be constantly discovering and rediscovering yourselves, having triumphs and having mistakes. And that's why this educational system is necessary. Mm -hmm. It's not like you need two weeks in school to figure it out. Then you're done. You, as soon as you figure it out, it's going to change on you. You got to reconfigure and readjust and mm -hmm. like, I want people to feel comfortable admitting that things aren't perfect. And so you got to be the change you wish to see in the world. So when you say you want to make people more competent about sex and relationships, where do you find that they're incompetent? You need strategy. I mean, like it's anything else in life. Like if you want to know how to sew, there's a strategy to that. You got to know what materials you got to know what machine you use. You got to know like what you're trying to create. You need a blueprint. Like you can't just say to yourself, I want to be great at sewing. And then all of the right answers come to you. Same with sex or love communication, like mm -hmm. anything, it is a skill set. And so if you want to get good at that, you have to follow a system, like follow a path and strategy. My book is really about that, of taking people through like a five-phase step-by-step strategy. I really despise um, like blanket, vague advice. Like, you know, the health, the key to a healthy relationship is communication. You know, it's important to just be yourself. Just wait and the right person will come to you. Like, I hate advice like that because mm -hmm. I just think like, what does that mean? Right. You know what I mean? What does that mean? The key to a healthy relationship is communication. What the fuck do I say? Right. Like, what What now? So I feel like there needs to be, like, to get competent at something, you have to follow a specific strategy. And then once you do that enough times, you put your own flair on it. It's, mm -hmm. like, not dissimilar from dancing. You start with the choreography. It might feel very, like, eight count, very rigid. Right. And then if you get good enough at it, it becomes an extension of who you are. It becomes an expression of art. And now, I think the same thing with love. Do you think, okay, so for there have always been books on love and books on sex. It's ancient. Yes. Ancient. It's always been. What's your fave? 
<laughs> Obviously, I love the, you know, the Kama Sutra when I was okay. a kid. My mom had the Kama <laughs> That's Sutra. That's not obvious. When my mom had the Kama Sutra. There was a, okay, so there was a movie, by the way. I'll tell you how I got into the Kama Sutra here. There was a movie. I was very into Skinamax as a kid. Remain into Skinamax, by the way. And there was a movie called Kama Sutra, A Tale of Love. Ooh. And the way they sold these movies, uh, it was they like, yo, it was forbidden in like, the Middle East or whatever. It was it did like they couldn't show it. And I'm like, fuck, I'm happy. This is coming on Cinemax. I'm gonna watch it. So I watched the movie and the movie had a lot of breasts in it. Very beautiful breasts in this movie, by the way. And so uh after I saw it, I was like, you know, it's a Kama Sutra. And once again, if people listen to this podcast, my mother was the type of mother, like you ask her a question and she gives you an answer. So like, well, what is the Kama Sutra like as they were But you were saying your mom just had it around the house. She had the book. Okay. And so in- I, in plain sight for you to just pick up? No. Or did you discover it? No, she had it, but like it wasn't like in plain sight. It wasn't a cop table book. Yeah. Uh, and she's like, you know, it's a book about sexual positions and, and lovemaking and sort of uh, connecting souls with people and stuff like that. She's like, a lot different than that porn stuff that you watch. And I was like, huh? How old were you? Uh, maybe like 14. Maybe, maybe older, because that movie was like nice. Oh, she was aware that you watched porn, though. Oh, yeah, because... <laughs> yeah, she was aware. So, cause, <laughs> cause, because like, so there was a there was an awkward situation to where... You know, I ordered Showgirls one time to watch it on a sick day, and I didn't get in trouble for it. Mm. And, you know, at this point, it dawned on me. Did you order it by accident and think you were going to die? No. I ordered it on purpose. Oh. I was like, fuck it. You know what I mean? If something happens, I say that I was trying to order WrestleMania, and I got fucked up. Who, 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 knows? who knows? So I ordered it, and it I got in, didn't get in trouble for it. Around this same time call started coming to the house i'll never forget this this guy calls the house and he goes hey what's up this is buffalo video may i speak to van i'm like this is van this is van lathan i'm like yeah this is van lathan okay so i want to let you know we have some outstanding videos here that you need to get back to us like the late fees are kind of like you know piling up if you want you can buy them and i was like videos yeah he's like i you know just to let you know these are the adult videos that you rented, sir. And I said, oh, Van, you're looking for my father. Oh, and you're, they, a, you're a junior. Yeah. And, they, and, and I'm like, Van, you looking for my... And they go, yeah. And it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. You might want not want to tell your mom that these are adult videos that your dad is watching or whatever, whatever. So yeah, I'll deliver it to him. So at this point, I realized that this nigga was watching porn. Yeah. So the porn that was probably being ordered was probably going unnoticed. Oh, because the, okay. it was it was it was mingling. So you know what I started doing? What'd you do? Going fucking ham. I was going insane. Was your dad taking care of the bills? Yeah, they weren't saying anything, right? Mm. And then one day we're all sitting down eating, and my dad goes, "Yo, all right, so I'll let y'all know something. The cable bill this month is five hundred dollars. I'm not gonna embarrass nobody." But it's gonna fucking stop. That's it. And now that's when it came to an end. But how many of how many kids were there? It's like two. Okay, so it's like you were the other sibling. It's my sister. It was me. And so anyway, the point is, it's two sneezes. Thank uh, you. Uh, God bless you. The point is, uh, during this particular time, like my mom was aware that I was watching porn, and she took this opportunity with the Kama Sutra to tell me that there's an actual way that people have sex, mm. and that the sex that I was watching on pornography 
wasn't real sex. Wonderful. She yes, said, mama. She said, like, a lot of what you see is based upon fetishes and proclivities yes. that people have. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I don't want you to go out into the world and treat any woman that you would be with like you see on a, on a video like that. She's like, that's not real sex. That's not, that's very performative. That's not the way that that is. And so we we talked about that. And that's kind of when I got into the Kama Sutra. But the, we got off on a weird tangent there. But the question is this. There have been books about sex as long as sex has been existed. Do you feel like we've gotten into a point in society now where those things aren't optional to where the majority of people need a little bit of extra help to forge some sort of human connection. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that? I don't really get the question. The question is like, all right, so back in the day you would read a sex book or you wouldn't. Yes. Now it seems to be, even though uh, we're so much more interconnected with the internet that people are having problems forming lasting relationships. Do you feel like, people like you are necessary to help bridge those gaps for people. Yeah, but I think it's necessary from the beginning of time. I mean, this is... Always been necessary. Well, yeah. I mean, like, sociologists will tell you that two-thirds of what make up a happy life have to do with the quality and quantity of your close relationships. Right. So we live in America, Mm -hmm. and the focus here is individual achievement, it is success, and it's the reverse flip, right? We're actually told that relationships and sex will distract you from what your true purpose is, Mm -hmm. which is to gain assets and to gain independence, versus, no, like, relationships and sexuality is a healthy part of your life. That can actually make you happier as you do pursue other goals that are that actually should be optional. The mm. true goal of life should be like how happy, healthy, and connected can I be to the people that I choose to be around right. and how much can they benefit from me and of course vice versa. I feel like as we get more technological and robots start to take over more of our jobs, mm-hmm. we'll have to rely more on our relationships. I think that those will become a bigger focus for us. So now is a great time to start putting attention on them. Also too, like just in general, especially again, as there's less masculine brute force jobs available because of um, robotization, I'm looking for What's the word I'm looking for? Roboticization. There's a word that like describes automation. Au- automation. <laughs> automation. Because of automation. Right, right. Just in general, mm-hmm. having good interpersonal skills is important. Sure. It's important for your job. It always has been. Mm-hmm. But I think for a lot of people in general, they have to learn how to be better communicators, how to be better at love. Like I'm not very religious, but like Jesus Christ as a skill set was a amazing lover right. he just knew how to love people he right. knew how to like and connect with people and like that's a skill that everybody should be aspiring to whether your focus in life is individual achievement or happiness i'd agree i'd argue that it actually is becoming more important for people to use a little bit of a manual so that they understand people because there was a sense of necessity even even forget about interpersonal sexual or romantic relationships even in a sense of community yes um they there used to be a sort of necessity to understand your neighbors like you leaned on them right like the idea of one of my neighbors coming to me right now and asking to borrow something is a fucking do you know how abrasive I would be if someone knocked on my door and be like, yo, man, you got some sugar or some milk or something like that. Like that would freak me the fuck out. (laughs) But when I was growing up, it was understood that Miss Linda might be running a little low and she might send Michael over and get something from mom or vice versa. I think that things are getting walled off a little bit in that way. Now, I might still be like that in certain areas. Uh, but I think now for us to kind of build with one another, we need to work at it a little bit more. Yeah. And so I think that people like yourself uh, helping to bridge that gap, I think it's important, especially in terms of of uh, 
of 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 sex because when I was a kid and I was watching porn, right? I was watching the 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 peak porn of the day is what I could get my hands on, right? What does that mean? It means the, only the best produced porn, only the <laughs> most ma- mainstream porn. Because remember, the porn that I was getting. So you weren't like a LimeWire porn watcher. You that's were... that's later. Oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? So it, the porn that I was watching was the porn that made it to Adam and Eve or the Spice Network mm. or you could get from the video stores. I, I wasn't into every single type of fetish that was available. Mm. The kids today are. Yes. And some of them are having trouble uh, differentiating in what you can, what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing based upon the needs of your partner. So I think explaining to people how to communicate what they really want during a lovemaking scenario is basically more important than it's ever been. Oh, I agree with that. I think that like discernment is the number one thing that forget youth anybody needs today right and discernment is because we just get so much information thrown at us constantly mm-hmm. and your mom put it beautifully like i always say porn is to sex what wwe is to rest to fighting right like you can't expect to get into a street fight and pull out some wrestling moves and not get your ass kicked right and similarly if you are using porn as your template for like how you want to copy and paste in the bedroom you're mm-hmm. gonna be whack right um and it's gonna be like a, you might actually get through your teens that way because mm-hmm. enough young people don't necessarily know what is their right or what works for them and they might be also brainwashed by the exact same footage and think that they're supposed to like something. But into your adult years, there's so many really, really whack lovers who just, you can tell have never read a book before. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating actually is that I did this thing for Playboy on Friday. It was all about the female orgasm. It was like an eight hour day about female orgasm. And like my partner was overhearing me like research and learn and everything like that. And it was Mm -hmm. like really cool because like afterwards when we were having sex, I could see Mm -hmm. him like copying and pasting some of the information. I could (laughs) see how he was like applying the new things he learned. I was like, yeah, like, it's so weird that it's an area that people don't want to learn about almost mm-hmm. like I guess I'll ask from a male perspective what do you think because in the work that I do my audience is 80% female mm-hmm. um, and even if I go to classes I went to school in San Francisco for sexology mm-hmm. it's an older group of people but again like 80% women in my class all of the workshops that I go to majority women you know why why is it that men don't want to show up to educate themselves in this space I think a lot of it obviously has to do with the male ego I think my dad used to say something. Uh, we talk about sports. He's like, it's two things in the man is not going to admit to. Uh, one is that he can't play ball, and the other one is that he can't fuck. Yeah. <laughs> so he would look at me and be like, son, you better be good at both. Yeah. But for him. Did he teach you? Like, did- He did. For him, it was important that I understood. I remember one time, like, we were getting on one of my homeboys because he, like, uh, he was like, yo, you know, I ate some pussy. And this was in like 97 or 98 when that was frowned upon. Yes. All right. Well, like, I didn't know it was ever frowned upon in America. Oh, God damn it. it. It was, it was, I mean, there was a dude that I went to school with called John Boy. And John Boy's like, hey, man, I don't know if you know, bro. You hang around a nigga, John Boy, man. John Boy, he pussy. I don't know if you want to be hanging around that nigga. I'm like, what? <laughs> so, uh, and then my dad heard this conversation. My dad was like, son, don't listen to them boys. He was like, he's like, you should have been, he's like, listen, you get with one of these little girls, let me tell you what to do. You eat all the pussy she can handle before you even penetrate her. You got to get, he's like, remember I told you it's cold outside. You got to warm the car up. Yes. He's like, you don't just want to go into the car and have metal on metal because the car going to break down, not going to want to perform right. He's like, if you want her to perform, boy, you got to warm her up. And that's a part of it. And it's all your little friends out there. They don't know what the fuck they doing. Yeah. So like he would have these How conversations. How old are you at this point? Uh, like I'd say 
I was 17 here. But here's the thing, though. He That's t- great. He told me that, but then he didn't tell me how to do it. Mm-hmm. I, and my, the first girl that I really started eating pussy with, like, I would just, like, stick my tongue in her vagina hole. Yeah. <laughs> I would, and, and then I remember she was so polite and beautiful. Won't call her name. She's married now. She goes, I don't know if you know, but there's, like, a little piece of, like, skin kind of nerves, like, right above that, like, in the same area. And we're going to, like, focus on that. Six weeks, I was fucking yeah. killing the game, baby. <laughs> I was going to fucking class. But the reality is that I didn't bring any ego into that situation yes. because so much of that happened. Which been is like, wonderful. You actually had a partner who felt comfortable enough to speak up for what they liked, which that's kind of rare to find as well, too. Yeah. Like, I can't tell you how many people I speak to who are just like, my partner is not great or they're not doing what I like. And mm-hmm. you're like, how do I have this conversation? And you're like, if you're not talking about it constantly, it is weird to bring up, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be awkward. It can be a matter of fact thing of like, this is what I enjoy. Yeah. I like what you're doing and I enjoy I like the intent behind it. Right. Let's just move it up about two inches. Let's just try something. You right. Know what I'm Let's give it a whirl. What's the biggest mistake that men make during sex? Um, I would just think I think that the easiest thing for uh, men to do to understand how to be better lovers and is understand that uh, men and women are made of the same parts. Mm-hmm. Like it's not dissimilar. So the penis and the clitoris are the same thing. As a matter of fact, when we are <laughs> developing in okay. the fetus, right, we all develop as female first. Yeah. It's not until week six that Y'all hear the clitoris. That? Fellas, go. everybody started out. Fellas, even I want though you... you were XY, you started out developing like you were XY. Fellas, I want you to hear that. So all these, these you, uh, people say, I want y'all to understand what's inside of you. Access it. The divine feminine, access that. But anyway, go ahead. So when you're um, at the six week point, all that happens is if you're XX or female, mm-hmm. your clitoris stays underneath and it's shaped like a wishbone. And so only the tip of the iceberg, just the actual like glands, the head of the penis, mm-hmm. the clit is actually the only thing that's exposed, but the rest is underneath. If you're a man, all that happens is it comes like this and extends out. Mm-hmm. And so it's the exact same tissue that we have. So the clitoris is a very large system. It has double the nerve endings of the penis, um, of the of the penis head. Mm-hmm. And so if you just think about it like that, like, okay, her primary sexual organ is the clitoris. Now for some women, the clitoris is too underneath like there's too much there's not enough of the exposed head mm-hmm. for that to be sensitive enough so they might enjoy penetration more mm-hmm. some people have a hanging clitoris which is like kind of in between almost of a penis and a clitoris so it hangs on the outside it might be too sensitive for them they have mid dick well i wouldn't call it that mid-dick. it's called hanging clitoris mid dick it's called the hanging i hanging think mid dick is but i think we just I came up with so. something. i don't think that's so so it's, there's 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 dick and then there's pussy and then there's mid dick hanging or mid pussy well, that's different from intersex because intersex. I know what intersex is. Yeah. That might be mid dick. Mid, no, intersex is the lady who is like fucking up everybody in track and field, right? She can't be beat. I think it's somebody who is like their genitals are not She's definitively intersex. male or woman. Just right. because, again, it's the same. Like we have two ovaries, mm-hmm. you have two testicles, right? Right. Um, so if you think about it in terms of that, we have a skein's gland, you have a prostate. Mm. So there's not the parts are the same. So they're just in different areas. Like if I'm explaining to my partner, like if he does something and says, how does that feel? I will go to his body and I'll do something to him and say, it feels like that. So just to give you the ah, understanding that if you want to know how to be good at this, mm-hmm. think about yourself and what you like. Mm-hmm. And so kind of similarly, like if you've ever tried anal before as a man, if you like to be pounded away at aimlessly, maybe more than likely, you probably want very directional mm-hmm pointed um, penetration that's going to hit your prostate which in, oh when you say anal you mean as like a man, me getting fucked in my ass 
Yes. Because oh, you wow. are a fan of wheezing and of horrible decisions. Wildness. You yes. You guys should have Mandy on here because she's like the pegging queen. Oh, I have Mandy on here. Did she Mandy, talk about pegging? Nah, Mandy talks about pegging. Yeah. Let me tell you something about Mandy and the, the pegging situation. The, there are gentlemen out there that have been loved to be pegged from the beginning of time. Mandy just likes dominating niggas. Yes. That, that's that's what Mandy likes. Mandy, like you, I can tell Mandy. Mandy probably doesn't peg in the loving way. She probably doesn't like nibble on your back and all of that stuff really? like that. I think Mandy gets in there like, "Yo, you about to take this motherfucking dick?" All that shit you was talking on social media. Mandy, like, I don't. I think Mandy's probably rough with the. Don't pain. you find that's kind of hot though? As you were saying that, <laughs> okay. weren't you a little turned on? <laughs> no. Uh, but if Wheezy pegs too, I think Wheezy is probably the loving pegger. Like, it's okay. It's all right. Just like bear down, bite the pillow. But Mandy's probably the gives no fucking quarter. What's your preference? I don't have a preference. Well, not not for pegging, but in terms of in the bedroom, do you want somebody who's coming in there and is just like, your mind, this is what we're doing? Or do you want somebody who's more attentive, more asking questions? I don't think that it matters. I think that uh, it, over the course it's about of, the connection you share with yeah, the person. Yeah, I think over the I think this is this is my view on sex is like it's it's the one place that you should be able to be totally and completely excited and vulnerable. Right? You should be able to be excited and vulnerable. And as long as everybody trusts each other and we both know that we're making some secrets, mm-hmm. then it. It's it's fun. It's something to where you can have sex was very stressful. Oh, I really love that making some secrets. But yeah, you create some secrets with someone. Sex was very What do you mean by that? Okay, like college sex at in back in Baton Rouge was very stressful. And the reason why it was stressful was because girls used to have something and they know who they are. Shout out to the pink ladies. They have something called a BDR. It was a bad dick report. Mm-hmm. Right, and you'd be sitting around with your homies, right? And you'd be—I remember I was, you know, sitting down. It's like, yo, man, this nigga really on, man. Like he got, he got like you know, nice car, all this stuff like that. Like really cool guy. Like really helped us out with all this stuff like that. And one of my homegirls was like, nah, that nigga dick is whack. I was like, how do you know you fucking him? And she's like, no. She told me, and she told me, she. And the same thing would be, like. Everywhere else, everybody was talking about what everyone was doing. Yes. So because of that, it you wanted to have sex with somebody for physical pleasure, but you also didn't want your reputation ruined. Mm. This is a small place. People talk. So there was only so many things that you would actually even be willing to try or actually be willing to do. You're bringing a lot of hubris and a lot of ego and a lot of all of that stuff into sex. And when you do that, it's only so awesome that it can be. Because it's supposed to be cool if you really have a good connection with someone or funny or cute when things don't go right. It's, you're supposed to be able to joke and laugh and trust and all of that stuff like that. Because this is my body. This is your body. We are together. Let's make some secrets. So that doesn't come till later on, though. And that also doesn't come until you're you're not trophy hunting anymore. Is that like a, a term of endearment that's out there or you just made that up? Because I like it because it sounds like let's make like shared intimacy, like a shared history together. We now have something just, that's just for us, just between us. So I like the making secrets thing, but I don't know if that's like a thing that gets thrown out all the time. I've never heard it. Oh, I, it's wonderful. Now, I say it just because the fr- I wrote about this. Uh, I actually talked about it on the podcast. There was a... Um, I don't know if you heard the story about. I think it's a good pickup line, to be honest with you. I've never used it as a pickup line. Not a pickup. It's yeah. not. I mean, 
I think pickup lines get like misconstrued because it's not introductory. <laughs> right. It's probably like we're just about to go and do this. And now I just want to affirm to you that we're mm-hmm. on the same page. Like I want to make some secrets with you. It was a woman that introduced me to it. Mm. Not not to that saying, but to the notion. Like during college, I had sex with a girl. It had been built up too much. And I just it's that moment when you're having sex with somebody and you go, it's going to happen. I'm about to come. I can't stop. There's nothing I can do. I'm not just thinking about baseball. I'm thinking about minor league baseball. Like, I'm like, it's like, like it's like, fuck it, I'm gonna come. And then I remember, I, then I, so I bust, and she's there, and it was I, very short. What you're saying? Oh, it's very short. Mm. It's very short. And I remember, I said, I'm gonna be honest with you. That was a big one. We can try to wait for the second shift, but you might need to go to sleep. Mm. And, and all she said was, "Really, Van?" And I'm like, "Yeah." She's like, all right. And so she rolls over on me. We start, we go to sleep. So the next day, tell my boys about it. They're like, yo, you're going to want to get ahead of that. I was like, what? Like, you don't want to like invite her back over and really take, we had this stuff called maintain. We used to get from these little, it was, must have been bad for your heart. You're like, we'll get some of this and really do the whole thing. But she was like, but I was going to, uh, to Southern's campus and she was in there planning something with her homegirls. My boys come and uh, I'm very, weird about if she's told everyone mm-hmm. I'm thinking about this and so they're at one of her homegirls asked us like okay so but Van, you've already told everybody whose opinion matters to you well but I haven't told the female population okay see those guys I can tell them anything mm. uh because I know where their bodies are buried too but the female population I have not I'm not going to tell them because mm. who knows maybe I don't get with her again but other girls gonna be like you know what I'm saying so I remember she goes I've told I've told this story before she goes um she goes uh one of her friends goes, when are you guys coming? Because we need to know when you guys are coming because we don't want people to be held up at the door. And she looks at her homegirl. She goes, I'm not I'm not sure about everybody else, but if I know anything about Van, he's probably going to come early. <laughs> and uh, and and her, her her girl looks at it and she goes, what, what's early? We're talking like 8, 8.39. I, I got to know. And I realized she was fucking with me, but she hadn't told them. Uh. And I'm like, yo. I love her. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yo, what a fucking awesome situation. We went on to have sex for years and it was dope, but it drove our level of intimacy up because I knew that what would happen at my most vulnerable moments wouldn't be weaponized against me. Yes. And that's a trust that a lot of people don't know how to not only build, but they don't know how to recognize it even when it's there mm-hmm. because there's so much shame behind sex. How do you get people out of thinking of sex as a dirty, shameful, tawdry thing? I think if you've gone through 20 years of conditioning that tells you it's negative and bad and it will send you to hell and it will give you a green dick and all the above, it could take you three years to reverse <laughs> green that. Green dick. Okay. Yeah. Right. It could take you three years to get out of that mindset. Mm-hmm. It's just sex pods. It's exposure, right? Like anything mm-hmm. else. Like if you hear about, I don't know, eating snails. It's like the most disgusting, crazy, weird thing to you until you've tried five different ones. You've been around people. You see how they're served. And then you're like, oh, like I, I'm starting to understand and get the culture a bit more. Mm-hmm. So anything you're not accustomed to or you've been brainwashed into a certain way, we all maybe inherently have a fear of certain animals mm-hmm. until you start being around them frequently. So it just takes time and exposure. I think that when I meet people who are in the beginning journeys of trying to get to that sex positive place, it might take your time. I guess a long life. Mm-hmm. You don't have to force yourself to go from like, I'm not having sex ever to like, I don't mind, I'll peg in the streets. Like there's there's somewhere in between that's comfortable for you. I do want to say just on the note of like how I would, you know, want to help the male population who's majority of your audience, I'm assuming. 
No, that's actually not true. Oh, bad assumption. Like no, like uh, we did a whole this whole breakdown thing. We were trying to sell the book. Fifty-seven percent of my audience, uh, both on Instagram, Twitter, listen, women. Oh wow! Congratulations. Hey. That's great. That's a great audience to have. Uh, well, ahead, I'm preaching though. to the choir then to say that, mm-hmm. like, if you reframe your mind to think that, you know, we think that sex begins with a hard dick and ends with a flaccid dick. Like, mm-hmm. that's a lot of the ways that I think we've been conditioned to look at sexuality. I think it's actually a negative for men mm-hmm. because that's why you have so much shame when the penis goes flaccid or why there's so much panic when it doesn't get hard rather than looking at it like, Oh, that's just one component of sexuality. If I came really early and I had a penis, I'd probably be like, my fingers still work. My mouth still works. Like, you know, maybe there's a toy or a tool around I can use instead to supplement. Like the can, the play would still continue. Mm. But if you put all the pressure on yourself to be like, this is the tool, then of course you're going to have all of these situations that feel like they were awful just because the penis couldn't perform. But then keeping in mind that two thirds of women don't need the penis at all to orgasm right you know what the crazy thing about that is you're absolutely correct but after you bust a nut after you have an orgasm Mm -hmm. come as a man it is very difficult to not become a completely desexualized person like it's like it's like you like you damn i gotta do this i gotta do this i gotta do this like you bust a nut and you start thinking yo man I want to watch cartoons. Right. Like, I need something to eat. Like you're not thinking about anything sexual. It's like, biological really... because your body wants to rest to create more sperm. So it has to like shut down for that reason, which is why men get that hit of melatonin where you want to go to sleep and women don't because we can orgasm multiple times. Mm-hmm. But you got to ask yourself, we you know what's more important right now, cartoons or feeling like a shit bag the rest of the week. Cause now I'm embarrassed, not sure if she's going to tell her friends or not. That's so true. You got to push through the feeling. No, you, 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 I mean, yeah, now, I mean, of, of course, but like then it was, it was very, it, it was big. It starts off as a very mechanical uh, means to an end. It doesn't start as something that's actually an experience. And mm. I think that that's that's a thing that as you get older, it becomes like an experience between two people. At first, it's about how many women that you can get to. What's the best sex you've ever had before? Thanksgiving Day 2009 or 10. Mm. I remember. Oh, do tell. Uh, it was just, it was sort of. That's a, a decade ago. Yeah, it doesn't matter. No, it's great that you, is that wonderful. Yeah, that I'm, not, I'm not saying I haven't had great sex since. since but that just was, that's yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, a, like a, a new relationship. And it's like, you know that time in a new relationship where you're breaking uh, a sexual barrier to where like you guys have been together, but then it just clicks. Mm-hmm. Like after the click is really when the sex gets good after like you start to well where you're not thinking about it anymore they're not thinking about it anymore and you're just reacting to one another really trying to experience one another that's when it really gets good Mm -hmm. that's when it really really gets good but i think even that though that's why you know monogamy is underrated in terms of sexual fulfillment oh wow it is. Speak to that 57% of your audience who <laughs> wants to hear this. Tell them. All right. Stop and pay some bills real quick. We'll get back to the healing and learning in a second. Reality check. If you've been injured in a car crash, slip and fall, or on the job, you probably need a lawyer. Morgan & Morgan has recovered billions of dollars for thousands of people, and hiring them is 100% free unless you win. To learn more, Visit ForThePeople.com forward slash 
pill. Here's the thing. If you are in a situation like that, car crash, slip and fall, uh, you really want to make sure that you get the most out of it that you can. Having legal representation um, that is experienced can be the difference, you know, in thousands of dollars and no, not to mention your legal costs. So the people at Morgan and Morgan have been doing this for a long time. They have a great reputation. Um, if you want to learn more, visit forthepeople.com forward slash pill. If you get into a situation like that, uh, God forbid, you want to have the right representation and they will be there for you. I want to ask you another question. What, 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 uh, what drove you to this line of work? Like, what? why did this resonate with you? Why did you decide to become the sexologist? Well, not dissimilar from you. I grew up, you know, really horny, really young. Um, <laughs> I think that I remember my first sexual experience by age, like, five or six with a pillow. I oh, with a pillow. But I remember it vividly being this awesome, positive thing. But mm-hmm. it was at a sleepover, and my friend told on me the next day. Like, it was like, I guess they were like, she was doing some stuff with her pillow, not appropriate. <laughs> so I got in trouble for that. And then, like, after that... Like, I remember just being really physical. I come from a West Indian family. Mm-hmm. And so I used to get called lewd a lot. Like, oh, you're so lewd. Like, you're too sexual. You're too touchy. You're too touchy, touchy. And I just, like, wanted to, like, I used to set up this thing with my cousins called the tickle train where everyone just rubbed each other's back and just stroked each other. I just loved touching the human body so much. And so I also went to a Catholic school, though. So all my natural tendencies, I feel like some kids are, you know, born to be pianists. I feel like I was born to be really sexual and really sensual. Mm-hmm. But it was really suppressed. Um, and so I grew up obviously learning that it's a bad part and that I'm going to get a green vagina and it's awful. I'll have a baby by the time I'm seven years old if I keep thinking about it. And it's a terrible part of our, my life and existence. And so I really kept holding on to that until 14 when hormones started to kick in. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I had a choice to make. I can continue to repress this or I can look for outlets that are going to allow me to be the sexual person that truly is almost innate to me. And I chose to look for those backdoor outlets. And so I watched a lot of porn growing up mm-hmm. and I read books. I don't know if you were familiar with the book, The Coldest Winter Ever. Yes. So I like dog tag that book because mm-hmm. she had sex. And the first time that she had a penetration, she like orgasmed before it actually completely entered into her vaginal canal. Like maybe like an inch in. <laughs> right. And I was like, okay, this is sex. Right. So I just like had sex with a lot of vegetables and watched whatever <laughs> I could. And Wait, you were one of those girls sticking a hairbrush in her vagina and all of that stuff? Probably like, that? like more like carrots. I don't think I did carrots. carrots. Yeah. So when you, so when you, it, it, this is an honest question. When you stick a carrot into your vagina, do you peel it first? Or do you like? I don't think I did. I you didn't peel did. it. Mm-mm. So you did. You washed it though. I can't recall. I I have a memory right now hey, of going Shane. into the the crisp box. Shane. At like two in the morning. And, but I you, doubt it. I doubt you it. You didn't wash these motherfucking carrots. I don't feel like because you're so worried about getting caught. You're already like, I'm gonna turn on the sink now and get some no, soap. Turn and- on the sink. You didn't have a bathroom. What kind of fucking shanty town were you living in? <laughs> they were like, it's, it's, well, I'm about to, like, I'm not talking about take the time and fucking washing. Take it up. Say so you didn't wash. You didn't wash the carrot. I'm like 13, did you, 14. Did you put a condom on a carrot? For sure not. Absolutely. You're fucking Where carrots am I raw. A condom. I'm asked. Well, so Where? wait, 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 wait. So this carrot. Let me ask you a question. Yes. What happens to this carrot after you have sex with it? I don't recall. I hope I threw it in the garbage. My nigga. I hope I threw it out the window. You. I hope I did. Are you, but you're telling me that there's a chance. I can't there was envision myself eaten. risking going back downstairs and putting the carrot back. Right. It's possible. Did you have like a um like a drawer full of like 
perishing fruit. Don't get me wrong. We, I do this frequently. I mean, like this is the thing too. Eighty percent of women who masturbate masturbate clitorally and don't insert. Oh, right, because that's that's a thing. Because like you you rarely hear about women actually inserting. Yeah, but when you're watching porn, you want to try this for yourself and get right. that feeling, and you don't actually know the anatomy, and so you're trying to figure it out mm. with any tool necessary. And like a carrot. Uh, like a carrot, like a for dirty example. Carrot. For example, like a dirty carrot that wow. may or may not have ended up in a stew later on. That's <laughs> for ex- a rough example. So yes, I was definitely just kind of trying to figure out my mm-hmm. body. And so I started having sex at 16. It was with somebody that I met that same day. And I think that also too, just from like the way that I had watched, porn I had watched or music videos in Canada, mm-hmm. we had gotten BET around that time. It was like non-existent before then. But what year was this? Two, it was, so I'm 34 now, 16. Would you do the math? And y'all got BET then? God, we got BET when damn. I was in high school. Yeah, like B2K times. Like that's when it just came out. Oh, wow. So Socket to me was the very first music video I ever watched on BET. So you, so really what you're saying is that around the time of your sexual awakening, you were watching Bump, Bump, Bump with a Mario yes, and a little fizz you go, yeah. and you just couldn't fucking handle yourself because yeah. it was too fly for you. And also too, I'm the archetype of the exotic uh, video girl. So. And so you felt like that was you. Yes, every time I saw myself represented, there was very sexual, precocious, very forward and like mm-hmm. that's what you did when you liked somebody. So I feel like that's kind of like what informed my decision making early on. Also too, I think a lot of just repressed sexuality. So I was just having sex with anybody. All the time. At 16, mm-hmm. probably 16 to 19 constantly new partners like how many partners would you say uh, I think maybe I hit maybe eight or seven oh, okay that's not that bad not that bad yeah, yeah. but I mean probably not that bad <laughs> there's no bad or good well I'm there's bad saying, if the sex is bad and it was bad sex what, what, what what's the definition of bad sex to you no orgasm no closeness no intimacy I didn't get closer to who I was I didn't get closer to what I liked it was just like pointless it was a pointless passerby time why were you doing it though just because of the urge the urge one. I will say that the I always I love and I would love to talk to you about your sex life too. But I always I do this series on my YouTube channel where I ask men about their sex life and their sexual awakening, their sexual come up. And I always love to ask like, how much did you masturbate between the ages of like thirteen to seventeen? <sighs> like the desire to orgasm is not dissimilar from being starving, the need to eat. Right. And you like will do anything when you're that deliriously hungry. Yeah, it but was that's pretty every it was, day. It was it was it was pretty bad because like I would. I remember I was I was beaten off to pretty much anything at this point, right? Anything like there was a there was a full beat off session that you could have and then there was just like a bump. Okay. Like the bump was just like one scene. You work yourself up and then one scene gets you off. Like there was Oh, a, you were edging. Edging early on. Oh, well I was done. early on edging. And I remember there was a scene in the Janet Jackson scream video where she grabs her breasts mm. and it was the perfect time, right? And I remember this is how fucking terrible it was the video was on yes and this was before youtube and shit like that to where you could watch a video whenever you wanted if the video fucking came on they would tell you hey the third the the the, the fucking third block we're gonna have janet jackson featuring michael jackson scream and so you're like shit dope so you get <laughs> so so you like you get ready i remember the video comes on and the video's going and my dad drove a big Chevrolet diesel dually truck. So when my dad was coming down the block, I could hear him. Mm. I could hear my dad. My dad and my mom were coming home. The video is on. I hear the truck. I have a decision to make. Do I continue to beat my dick and try to beat the orgasm before they get home? Because I'm in the living room, right? Yes. Or do I waste this video? 
I'm fucking going for it. Yes. So I continued to do it and I continued to do it. And I remember just as they came through the back, just as she's grabbing her breast, it's like, boom. But for some reason, I misjudged because as my father is walking through the, uh, the area, I still have my dick in my hand. And he looks at me and he goes, and then he says, Crystal, Crystal, uh, go back to the truck real quick. I think I left my wallet on the seat. And then, and then oh, she goes, okay, baby. She goes back out. And my dad goes, boy, you got a fucking problem. <laughs> what the fuck is, like, come here. And he was like, it, what if your mama would have walked through here right now? That's disrespectful to your mama. If you want to beat your little dick, beat your little dick in your room. I was like, I ain't got no TV. But I'm trying to hear that. Get in your motherfucking room. So that was a thing to where I was getting caught all the time. I yes. used to bring the lotion bottles into the shower with me. Mm -hmm. And one time my mom was like, yo, uh, where's the lotion? We need the lotion. My sister came in, got the lotion. I gave it to her. And then when I came out, Ebony was like, mama think you was in there masturbating. <laughs> so it was like a real Thing. Yes. And then that's why when I first got to college and I had my room to myself and I had high speed internet, I almost like fucked myself out of school. <laughs> so, yeah, but but that was a that was a thing. In a lot of ways, it was the only way I could relax. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I had to get rid of this so I could be like a normal person or else I would be thinking about sex all the time. No, it's so important to know that. I think it's so important that we educate young women on this because almost to have empathy like, they're going to say extreme things to you. It's not their fault. They're starving. Think about what a starving person would say to get food or somebody who is so hungry or so thirsty. They would say or do anything. But once you give them the water, it's not going to change because in the next day, they're going to have the exact same feeling. Mm. So you never do it to appease them because it will never be enough. It's never enough for themselves. So it's like empathy to know because that's the thing, too. You get all this pressure at that age. And if you look at it through that lens of, oh, they're not thinking straight or clearly and it's not going to matter. And I, I learned that in my 20s that it doesn't matter if you fuck someone or not. It really doesn't. It's not going to make somebody like you, love you, leave you, call you, not call you, etc. It's just an activity that mm -hmm. people will do. Um, what's going to make somebody stay is, is the shared connection or shared intimacy. And so if you don't want to do it, just don't. I didn't mm -hmm. have that message back then. And also, too, I also had an unreasonable urge to be penetrated. I will say that. Like, I never <laughs> orgasmed, and I still don't orgasm. An unreasonable urge to be penetrated. I just remember, like, if I was making out with somebody, it was, I mean, it, it has to be biological. Mm -hmm. There was just a draw to, like, because I knew that I would never get much out of once the penetration happened, mm -hmm. but I knew that, like, I desperately wanted that penis inside of me. Right. Then once I it happened, it was like, oh, okay. Like, it almost could end as soon as it began. That ha that was a, that's a thing that happens as well. Like, the... A lot of times, especially if you're having, if you're just like sport fucking, right? Then the hunt and the urge part of it ends up becoming way more fulfilling in a way than the actual act. Yeah. Until you kind of learn about yourself a little bit. Yes. Yeah. And so you have to learn to actually have meaningful sort of sex, sex that actually matters. Around, did you get any like pressure from your family or what was it like growing up? Um, being, would you describe yourself as hypersexual at that? At that mm. So what was that like? Did you feel shame? Oh, for sure. I remember like little stuff, like my parents, um, I mean, obviously they know what I do now and they're really great and supportive. Mm. That just not was the story in the beginning. Um, but I remember my mom finding a condom when I was like 15 and I got in trouble, like genuine trouble. And I look yeah. back at that and I was like, that's kind of peculiar. And it's kind of the same thing too. When I had my first sexual experience at 16, I had a, I ran track and field. And so one of my roommates walked in at the end. And so she knew what we were doing and she went and told her parents who told my parents and I got in trouble 
for having sex. When I went to school for sexology, we talked about like sexual development by ages, like age one, age two, like what's normal. And I mean, normal just in terms of average behavior, what's an average behavior for that age. And around 16, what happens for a lot of women is like your coccyx fuses together. So like your pelvic floor becomes one. And so before that, it's like all these different pieces. So when that fuses together, you start getting these rush of emotions and now your body is almost ready to start having sex, Mm -hmm. which is why the average age that most people with vulvas have their first sexual experiences around the same, regardless of the decade, since they've been tracking it. Just, I mean, it was younger before we had statutory rape, that's for sure, because grown dudes were asking 13 year olds. But once young girls got started to, to choose around the age, median, the median age became 16 and stayed that way for a long time. So I said to my parents, I was like, you know, you guys got so mad at me when you heard I was sexually active at 16. Like, they were furious at me. I'm like, when I was, you know, one years old and I started to walk, did you push me down? No, you looked at that as this is a natural human biological Mm. development. This is what the body is developing to do. And this is what it has been doing for centuries and centuries. So like, let me either one, give you discernment so you can make good decisions and rise above your biological urges. Or number two, let me arm you because this is what your body wants to and is programmed to do at this time. Wow. That's such a healthy way to look at things. And it's such a, a positive way to look at things. But sexual taboos are the strongest ones in society. Yeah. Violence is less toxic to a lot of people than sex is. In America. In America. I feel, feel like, like in Europe, it's the opposite. Go for it. Like I, I haven't spent as much time in Europe. I've been there like a, I've been there before, but not enough to, I mean, I, I, when I was in Europe in 99, I did see. 99. <clears throat> in 99. When I was in Europe in 99, we spent a long time there. I did see like, naked breasts on TV and shit like that. And they were just having, bopping around on this show, having fun. And like, it was, it was like, it's perfectly paired. Or like nude beaches. Yeah. Yeah. Nude beaches, which are never as great as what you think they are. <laughs> um, but so you think that's, that's an American thing. Where do you feel like that comes from? Well, Canadian? cause in America, um, Canada about, is probably the same as well too, but fucking culture like that. there is a statistic that like in uh, Europe, it's very normal for teenagers to have sleepovers with their romantic partners. Where <laughs> for here, you know, what I mean, it's all cars. Well, yeah, there was it was car sex, car sex, party sex, under the stairwell sex. It was nah, it was car forest se- sex. I had oh every God. kind of forest, sex. Like, the, forest I, sex is the worst sex. For, I remember. I also hate beach sex. To be honest, never with you. had beach sex before. It's all sandy. But, like the forest, the forest sex was weird because I remember we were out there and she said, "Yo, you think there's snakes out here?" And I was like, "I didn't before, but now guess what I'm thinking about." Getting bit by a fucking snake. So guess what? Forty more minutes. Let's <laughs> go. <laughs> nah, but the car sex, car sex was the 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 entire thing. It yeah. was all car and like weird. And see, here's the thing. I was talking to a friend about uh, a friend of mine about this. I won't tell you who he is, but he's talking about you know. It sounds like you want to say. I'm not. I won't. Um, but like it, we were talking about this whole situation as related to. Somebody that uh, like policing your daughter's virginity or whatever. Okay. Like that. Okay. We we were all on the same page right now. Just yeah, but I'm not, I wasn't talking to that guy. Okay. But I was talking to a friend about that situation. That situation's mm. been done to death. Don't want to talk about it again. But what I what I will say is that what I said to this person was, for me personally, if and when I do have a daughter, it, I'm not going to talk about. I can't put myself into the position of when I'm going to be comfortable with her having sex because I won't know that until she's here, walking around, being a little baby, and then like being in uh, being a teenager and stuff like that. I can't act like I know what those emotions will feel like. But I said what I do know is that I would be more uh, appropriate with her having safe sex than unsafe sex. And I'm not talking about using condoms. I'm talking about sex in a safe place. Mm-hmm. I was with a girl in a park 
we're, ha- we're, we're in the car, we're having sex. Like it, it started off, I mean, time just warped because we got in super trouble because we ended up getting home at like four o'clock in the morning. But like we're in, I'll never forget this moment. We're in this park, we're having sex, uh, and it's going on for a long, long time. And she goes, yo, is there a dog next to the car? And I go, no, I don't see a dog. And she's like, yo, and now I look over and I go, somebody's watching us. Oh my goodness. And I cut the lights on. Mm. And when I cut the lights on and start the car, I see a guy run in front of the car with his jacket over his face. <gasps> and, and like he like he runs, he runs in front of the car, his jacket's covering his face. And she's like, oh my God. I'm like, yo, oh fuck. I do not know what this person had in store for us. I don't know what was going to happen. You have spectacular happen. sex stories, by that is, the way. I swear to, I swear, I don't want to bring God into this. That is a true story. What'd you do? I drove home. You didn't hit the person? No, they were like, we were parked. And so they were, they ran in front of the car and ran away. I never saw. Oh, who they it didn't was. run to block you. No, 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 no. They were running because when I hit, when I. Because that sound like I know what you did last summer. What happened on the. That movie. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. I, when I cut the car on, the lights came on. Mm. And then they ran in front of the car. Like, the car was parked, and they were running away. Yeah. And But they had to run. They ran in front of the car to get away. Mm. And I, they had their, never read this moment, they had their jacket cover in their face. Yeah. Um, we got home. I got my car taken. It was all late and all that shit like that. But I was thinking to myself, that was a dangerous situation. We yes, it's very dangerous. And so, what if that goes, like, super left? What if... He, because he was down by the door. Yes. That's how she saw him. That's awful. Because she was on top of him. He was crouching, like almost peeping. I don't know if he was peeping or if he was trying to open the car. Oh my goodness. This is North Baton Rouge, circa 1980, no, 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 1998. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what was going on. But so, you know, living, kind of off that, I don't think I'll ever have a home where I'll just be like, yo, you kids. I'm gonna go ahead and go go to the store. You You're not speak, all if, this. Fuck if you want. What all this considered? You're saying I'm still going I, to I, pretend that you don't have these urges and disallow no, it. I, I, I'm not gonna. I, being a real person, I can't say that I'm gonna be able to just, you know, be in the be in the living room, drinking a drink, and have a young man walk out of the back knowing that he just. Fuck the shit out of my daughter. I can't say that I'll be okay with that. I can't say that I won't. Yeah. I can't look at him like, what's up, Jamal? How you doing, man? Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I can't say that that's going to be cool. Yes. But what I can say is if she or my son, either party, because I was in danger there as well. Mm-hmm. I'm not made of steel. So I was in danger. There. If they are going to have sex, I really do believe that I would rather be, rather it be in a place where they feel safe. Yes. So you you're like battling yourself right now because I, I can't. You're debating yourself because I, I don't want to. I can't come off like yeah, my house is gonna be a fuck show. Everybody, yeah. you know what I'm saying? But it it's it's just weird. I don't. You I'm, almost got bitten by snakes and yeah, who almost, knows what else by a masked man. Yeah, that he wasn't. He definitely put his. I wonder if he was a crackhead or something. I don't know what was going on at that. She knows though. She knows that's a true story. Damn. I haven't thought about her in a long time, but it's like, she, like, <laughs> like she, she, she know, she know, she knows that's a true story. But so I, I, I understand that now for you, uh, empowering women, mm-hmm. um, a lot of this shame that we're talking about as far as sex is concerned, mm-hmm. it only goes one way. Only the women, a lot of the times, are f- made to feel shameful, yes, uh, about sex and their sexual experiences and stuff like that. What has to change? Do men have to change? 
Or do women have to be more assertive about what it is that they want and about sharing these things to break the taboo? What do you think has to change? It's like a, an all-around system. I mean, you, you got to be the change you wish to see in the world. So it has to start with you. Unfortunately, you can't wait for someone else to do the important work that's going to impact your life positively. The mm-hmm. person who's going to benefit the most from destigmatization is women. So we have to do the work, I think, the bulk of it. Um, but I, I mean, it is an all-around thing. I think that if you had the litmus test of did this sexual experience if it's three weeks later, would I still choose to do that? And I mean, like tomorrow, would I still have chosen to do that? And if the answer is yes, because you found out something new about your body or you had a great experience or you connected with somebody on a deeper level or you got off or you had a great night's sleep afterwards, then like, why would you feel regret towards that? Mm. I think it's also a deprogramming on all ends. I say it's about myself. Like I will often use it as a badge of honor because I um I like like I'm very sexual, but I haven't had a lot of sexual partners. I think after I'm mean, age 24 or so, mm-hmm. just because I acknowledged how I get off, and I just didn't need a lot of penetration. I didn't, I didn't need a lot of dicks in my vagina after that. And you've been married for a while. I'm married for a year. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, That's but even nice. before, like my partner and I, he's my only sexual partner in LA. Not mm-hmm. the only dude who's given me oral sex, though. Not the only dude I've made out with, but I just became really like regimented. Oh, your relationship life. is open. Our relationship was open for a very long time. Oh, okay. It okay. still is, but it's not like I get it. I we debate this because we're not actively seeing anybody else right now. But mm-hmm. if he came to me today and said, I'd like to, that would definitely be a conversation I'd be fine with. Okay. Um, but I will say that like, yeah, like I definitely, you know, wasn't amped to have like a ton of new sexual partners. So I, but I find myself being proud of that in a way, which mm-hmm. is weird. Like, what does that fucking matter? Like there's a dude that I like super love and, you know, used to love before and I'm still in touch with and still is a good friend of mine. And like, I feel we have a really deep connection, but I've never had sex with him. And I sometimes say that in conversation with people like, yeah, but we've never fucked. Mm-hmm. Like, why am I proud of that? That's kind of weird. Like, why would I not want to somebody I care about have had the experience of connecting with them in that way? So I think that's kind of part of it, too, where you have to look at yourself and be like, man, am I kind of shaming myself? Mm. Am I giving myself a pat on the back for depriving myself of connecting with another human being? So those are the things that if you want to get to that place, it's got to start with you. Do you think in terms of who comes down, sometimes I see um, and sisters don't get mad at me. Sometimes I see women actually being harder on other women who are sexually adventurous than men are in a lot of in a lot of cases. Sometimes it seems like um women treat other women who are out there like who express themselves in that way they treat them worse yeah that they police them harder where do you feel like that comes from yeah just like i mean it's competitiveness i'm sure on one end Mm -hmm. number two it's just like to say if somebody has something that you don't it's like well they got it this way or this is what i think even amber rose is an incredible uh, example of that like how much shaming not now i think maybe it's different but i went on tour with her for this like um, HIV wrap it up tour mm-hmm. and she was on that and there was so much like whenever she came on the tour there was so much attention about her sexuality on the tour all the questions were geared towards that there's just so much like fascination with it and like negativity from people and you're just like why who it's still hard to do you know what I mean like you're mm-hmm. acting as if it's so easy to seduce people like a lot right. of people have pussies a lot of people have sexuality to Get ahead in the world using that as a tool for yourself is not a skill that any single person can use. You still have to work at it and sharpen it. And so if you want to do that, go ahead and do that. No one's stopping you from doing that. If you don't want to do that, then respect. Not dissimilar from a woman who goes to med school. Like you're not going to be jealous of her because you probably didn't want to put those 12 years in. Yeah. So I think that if we just kind of reframed it like, cool, it's good for you. Like maybe I wouldn't do that because I'm too lazy or I just don't see the value in that kind of work. But I appreciate that you got ahead using this or that you found your happiness using this. So I don't know. It just there's so, it's such a big, massive societal issue. And I think that 
in North America, we're, we're the beneficiaries of kind of coming out of this phase. There's still other parts of the country that are still like a woman's sexuality is a very hot topic mm. in terms of like what she can do, can't do, who can drive, who can speak, etc. But I think that like it starts with us. Start. I think you're very sex positive. So shout I mean, out to you. I just don't. I- I just don't want to see people spend their entire lives bogged down by anything. Well, let me ask, has sex ever been a negative part of your life? Sure. Yeah. When I, for me, when, um, when I had body image issues, when I had body image issues, when I was uh, a much, much bigger guy, I overvalued sex. Mm-hmm. I overvalued what it meant for someone to want to have sex with. Me. Oh, okay. So, so it was, um, Cause the rest of my homies and everybody like that, they were getting lots of girls. And for me, because I didn't like who I was, I overweighted rejection. I was in such fear of rejection and in such fear of some woman validating how I felt about myself that, uh, attachments that I maybe shouldn't have had, um, people that really took advantage of me. Uh, I just didn't have a healthy relationship um, with that part of myself uh, at all. And a lot of shame and a lot of sort of negative feelings kind of built up to where all of this stuff kind of comes together and it forced me into like a hole to where I was really by myself. The only person I trusted, the only person that I felt like thought that I was smart, the only person that I felt like I thought that I was worth being around was me. And so, you know, a lot of that just had to do, and I probably for a while, um, it changed my opinion of women. Uh, it, it, it sort of made me look at them in a specific way. And all of that had to do with me. And it was only until I started. Did you idolize them or you objectified them? I don't think I, I, I think I compartmentalized them. So there were women that I would that there there was not one woman at that particular point that I could go to that could give me a little bit of everything um, that could give me that could make me feel good that can make me feel sexually good that could help me develop and anything like that. When I when it was about sex, I went to porn. When mm-hmm. it was about wisdom, I went to my mom and them. When it was about just being being around and having a good time, uh, I was with uh, friends of mine who were female who I wanted to have sex with some of them. Um, but also I was always a guy that people wanted to have around, Mm -hmm. but they didn't want to fuck me, which would really, 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 really fuck with you. Mm -hmm. It it was just a tough, tough, tough thing. It is such a compliment though, too. What do you mean? Because that people saw, they liked you as a human being. They saw value in you. I always hate when people, you know, decredit the friend zone. Because a lot of people, I don't have a lot of friends. So to genuinely look at a human being and say, I want you in my life. Maybe I don't want to have sex with you, but like I see value in you and I want to invest time and energy into you. That's not a loss. The friend zone is not a loss. I mean, obviously now it's not a loss, but the friend zone can be torturous. Let me, it can be torturous. Two reasons. Number one, you know that you are the one that, (laughs) you know, you are the one that there's no chance that she's going to fuck you. Mm. And she knows that. So you hear about everything. They, they'll start to treat you like you don't even like sex. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they'll start like, I remember um, I had a female roommate. And, uh, you know, homegirls would come around and they would be walking around and stuff like that. And they'd be walking around scantily clad. It's all, oh, that's just Van. It's Van. Don't worry about it. I'm like, yo, 
What do you mean it's just Van? Like yeah. what, you, what? What is? What the fuck does that mean? Like you, I, I, you. I get that you might not want to have sex with me, but I want to have sex with you. So and maybe them. And ma- ma- yeah, you know what I mean. So it's like it, I didn't want to have sex with my roommate at that time, but it was just it was it, it was a weird thing. It especially for someone in their twenties, mm. it was depowering. It felt like there was some other mythical, magical power that all of these guys around me had, and that in some way, like I didn't have it. Which you didn't. Well, I don't think it was even that because I think that there were other dudes who were my size and who were more confident in themselves that were experiencing life. Exactly. That's what I mean. Right. So there was a missing piece in your ingredient that had nothing to do with how you looked physically. It's maybe how you presented or showed That's up in those relationships. That's how I felt about myself. And I, I didn't feel in any specific way. I didn't feel like sexy. I didn't feel like I was part of the game. Um, but also, I think that el- eliminating that shame didn't have anything to do with me uh, even losing weight. It had to do with me stepping back from my life and going, how much enjoyment out of life do I want to have? Mm-hmm. And what difference does it make in the grand scheme of things if you don't get what you want at this very moment? How much are you going to let the measure of somebody is how much how they react when they don't get what it is that they want? Can you still have principle? Can you still be a great guy? Can you... Can you, especially at that point in my life, can you try a girl and if she doesn't vibe to whatever you're doing romantically, can you still appreciate her as a human being and what she might offer you besides sex? And appreciate yourself. And appreciate yourself. Yeah. So like a lot of those lessons, they were well learned in the decade, um, not even a decade, but the time that I, that I spent like that. But, you know, for and me. And so during that time, sex was a negative part of your life where you thought. This did not bring you joy. It didn't bring you closer to the things that were important to you. No, it didn't at all. It, it it was, I mean, there were sexual partners that I had during that time, but, you know, it just wasn't something that, it was even really like a part of my life. It wasn't like, I just learned, all right, this is something that's not for me right now. Mm-hmm. Were you masturbating that time or you just gave what? up? There's never been a time in my life. Okay, I, I wasn't sure. Like, like, just come on, man. So yeah, of course. Um, even, you know, and I learned my limits of that. You know, I learned that it's not, you know, I'm a human being. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you got to give that a rest. Yeah. Because if not, you'll get sore. Uh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, and it was like, boom, boom, boom. And that, also that was the time where the, the internet stuff was really just starting to hit. And so there was a lot of unhealthy things about that. But I think a lot of those things came from the way I viewed me. Yes. You know, this is this was a time where you was you were taking showers with the lights off and stuff like that. I mean, you didn't want to see yourself. You didn't. There are very little pictures of me from that time. It was just a very hard time for me. Um, but so once I started to look at myself differently and started to be more positive about all things, it was easier to be positive about sex. And also, it, you know, my relationship with my mother is just a she's just a person that is more open about being able to have these conversations with people. Yeah, that's why I was just listening to your story thinking like. Maybe you never went through a period of time where sex was a negative for you because of the fact that you grew up in a family that always allowed whatever you were going to be okay, whatever phase you were at to be okay. They set limits, but they still like allowed you to have like healthy exploration. They gave you more information so that you can make better choices for yourself. Yeah, my, like it was there was like she'd always let you know because like once uh, things did happen, like we had two different. The house was big, was in the country. 
So, like, I didn't give a fuck. Like, I would bring a girl in. We'd go into my room. We would have sex. My parents would be on the other side of the house. It wasn't that big of a deal, right? So you grew up in that house, that European house? Not really. Like, it's not like they knew, but they just kind of, because once we got this house, it was easy to pull the game. Because, like, we built a big house out in Zachary, Louisiana. They were on one side in their room, and I would be on the other side. We would watch TV for a little while. We'd go in the room. We'd have sex. They didn't know what was going on. I don't think they were condoning it, but they were just turning a blind eye. Uh, one time my mom went into my room with this lady and they cleaned the room up and they folded up all the clothes, right? Mm. And she had left her panties there. Mm. And I remember all the clothes were folded up in the closet everywhere else and in the middle of my bed, yeah, there was a folded up, <laughs> like it was a folded panty there. Yeah. Pair of panties. And like, I never brought it up. She never said anything. She just wanted me to know. Yeah. She just, she just wanted me to know that she knew what was going on in her house. And it wasn't that big of a deal. Mm. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Bevel. You know Bevel as the first and only end-to-end shaving system designed for a consistently smooth, irritation-free shave. It's the perfect gift for someone this special holiday season. Don't let your loved ones show up at the company party or family dinner without a fresh lineup and smooth skin. You don't want your peoples out there with bumpy skin that represents poorly on you. Uh, Bevel Products, are dermatologists recommended clinically tested to help reduce and prevent razor bumps, discoloration, and irritation? The Bevel Trimmer is a GQ award winner and a must-have for the best barbers in the game. Add in Bevel Skin products to your routine for that extra clean and hydrating feel. I've been using them, and my skin feels amazing. Shout out to Bevel, man. They really hooked me up, uh, and it's really showing. I'm looking like a melanin god out here. Uh, made with only the best ingredients, that's glycolic acid, shea butter, witch hazel extract, and more. Uh, these things really seep into your skin and do a great job. I've been using a lot of things. Some of them dry my skin out. The Bevel does not. It moisturizes, and it takes care um, uh, of some of the dark spots and the discoloration that I had. It's it's really a one-stop shop. It's good, some really good stuff here. Uh, Bevel is a good look, so level up your grooming routine with the Bevel Shave System. And for a limited time, take 15% off your next shipment with Bevel. Head to getbevel.com forward slash pill. Get your Bevel Shave System or Bevel Skin today at target.com and in store, Amazon and getbevel forward slash pill. The promo will be automatically applied at checkout. This offer does not, unfortunately, include the bevel trimmer. You got to pay for that goodness. That's G-E-T-B-E-V-E-L dot com slash red pill. Get bevel slash red pill. Let's get back to the learning and healing with Michelle Booty. What about you? Negative sex? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like to finish the story of how I got into this space, it was kind of after I turned... I turned 19. I went to school at Coppin State University. And Is that it black was, school? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was in that experience because but prior to that, I was just lying. Lying to myself about my sexual needs and then lying to whoever else would ask me. Like, I had 17 orgasms. Lying to the dude, of course. I came 17 times. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and when I went to school, I was on a track scholarship. And so you spend a lot of time with the same people. You train mm-hmm. morning and night together. You have study hall. You go to track meets on the weekend. And that was my first time really having honest conversations about sex with other people. And I up until that point, I was the only outlier in my world, right? As far as I knew, everybody else orgasmed from, from, from penetration. As far as I knew, everybody else was having incredible sex and it was so easy. It was just like porn. And then through these like almost like immersive 
hour-long rides we would have together, I found out about anal. I found out about HIV. I found out about people who were not having orgasms. I found out about same-sex um, sexuality. And it was just like an eye-opener to me of like, wow, there's great information out there if we're just honest with each other. Mm. So I actually came back. To, I didn't continue on my scholarship. I came back to Canada and I went to school for journalism. In journalism school, they say, write what you know. So if you know sports, become a sportscaster. You know what I mean? If you know entertainment, that's what you're going to do. And then I was like, I fucking think I know fucking. I think this is my world. <laughs> I think this is my topic. Okay. And I wanted to be the person sure. who brought those real stories with real facts to light so that, you know, reading and learning about sex should not be dry. And I often say that I spent like an entire summer just reading sex education books. I read every single basic manual, probably around the age 19. And I was like, man, this is great information, but shit is boring. Yeah, you know, like sex education is bad sex, predictable, slow, monotonous, dry, faceless, dead, just lifeless. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, there needs to be somebody who makes sex ed sell. Somebody who makes learning about relationships, sexuality sell just the same way that Carl's Jr. uses this shit to sell a burger. Why isn't the educational field using it to their advantage? And that was my entry point into the field. And that's how I started at 19. And now, you know, 13, 14 years later, that's kind of the same template that I still go by. And it's not just sex with you, it's relationships as yeah, well. Yeah, and that's right? new. Right. So the, the relationships thing is how old? Maybe four years, three years. Yeah. So are you like Hitch? Yeah, you know what it was? I realized that sex is not everyone's entry point. Mm -hmm. So I look at myself, I call myself the Walmart greeter of sex ed. Right. I also go by Mrs. Frizzle, you know what I mean? Magic school bus. I try to make it like a fun experience to learn. Right. Also like Crocodile Hunter. So I think that- what? <laughs> Crocodile hunter. I know Steve Irwin. Yeah. I'm like, how are you like the crocodile? Oh, you're like that. The like a guy might yard might like the whole thing. Like you kind of come at sex ed from that kind of thing. And I would say because like his true gift was getting the average person who would never really invest in animal conservation or spend time learning about that, getting that person invested in the field. He was just so excited. You got it. You were like. There's got to be something. And I'm he was missing. doing wild shit. Yeah, he was doing wild shit with snakes. And like, there's got to be something I'm missing about snakes. Look how excited this nigga yes. is about this fucking snake. Yes. Yeah, no, I get it. Or you see the clips and you'd be like, this dude's Fuck, like risking his life. This guy's crazy to show me how awesome this snake is. Like, I got to learn about this snake. And yeah. that's like me and vabbing, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, Jesus Christ. Or, you know I mean, there's a number of different things that I've done that. Oh, like, and vabbing is taking your vagina juice. And using it as perfume. Yes. Which Shan does. Yes. I mean, this is the thing. I think does is a strong word. We did it in my book, The Game of Desire, <laughs> as an experiment. And from that, news outlets were like, this is her secret. This is what she does. She sells it online. Oh, no. And it's like, that's not true at all. But so you don't, you're not walking around wearing vagina juice like right no, now? No, okay. no. I mean, I probably could. I think I'm ovulating right now. So now oh, would be Jesus a good time Christ. to do it if right. I was going to. And you would enjoy it. I promise you that. Mm. But um, I do try to make it sexy, fun, and interesting and tangible. And so I do, I'm like the gateway. I want to be the person who shows up. Like I'm different from Mandy and Wheezy because they're in a very specific sector. I still want to be able to go on the Steve Harvey show at 11 a.m. Or I still want to be able to show mm, up on The View. So I got to really watch how far I go on the sex line. So it just kind of almost made sense for me as I started having more conversations, becoming more public. A lot of the questions I were getting were not just sexuality. They were relationship-based. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And I guess we might as well touch on it now the thing that happened on the real was that Lonnie on the real yes was uh, shout out to Lonnie shout out to all the ladies on the real by the way um, great show Lonnie on the real actually questioned whether or not what you do is relationship wise is effective or real she basically said it's some white people shit yes then the conversation went 
all yes. over the place because you have friends on the view. Yes. Um, and they were like, you're actually not white and all of that stuff like that. So first thing we'll, we'll, we'll deal with is what do you do when people ask you for relationship advice? Like is like what, like it, it what is it? Because when somebody casts casts aspersion on something, it's better if people understand like what is it that you actually do. I mean, I'm I'm a very like I like um, metaphors and similes, so mm-hmm. I'm like Martha Stewart. So you don't go to Martha Stewart to say I have Thanksgiving on Thursday. What should I cook? Mm. You will go and you'll read her magazine or you'll watch a TV show of hers. Like I don't do a lot of one to one. Okay. So so you're so then you're not like. Hitch was helping people get dates and all of that stuff like that. Nobody hires you to come in and coach no. them through a relationship. Yeah. Okay. No. So I write books or I consult for pharmaceutical companies um, or I appear on TV shows. I have a YouTube channel. I create mm-hmm. content that is for the masses. It's still kind of very journalistic almost based. Like sure. I graduated from school for journalism. I put out a book a year later called Laid and then I got thrown into the face of millennial sex education. And so I started going back to school to like give myself some actual fundamental knowledge in that topic area Mm -hmm. but my base is really journalism it's like how do i take a message and share with as many people as possible so i'm not going to there was an article when my book came out where like a a sexologist who works at a university was like going through my book and like refuting claims and she's like this is not the actual scientific method i'm like bitch i'm not competing with you right i mean you and me are not the same i'm not i'm actually using your research and your tools and i'm making it so the average person thinks it's interesting and makes it accessible because right now you're preaching to a choir so in, in in that sense what is your your knowledge base on relationships and things like that that comes from both uh, your observation and from data that you've collected? Yeah, well, it's research-based. I mean, okay. I spend a lot of time. Oh, I'm it's research-based. And I'm on a couple boards as well, too. Okay. So I think I'm a great bridge. Okay. Even on the boards that I'm on, I'm on the National Coalition for Sexual Health. They use me to get their stats messages. Like the CDC will use me to get messages out there to the average person. Mm. So I'm not researching. I don't work at a research facility. I don't work at a university. Um, I'm not going to do a trial run of a new pharmaceutical drug, but I will take that data and learn from the people and learn from the experts and find a way to make the average person aware of it so I work with them like I think that when people try to compete with me it's so bizarre because I'm like I'm I'm for the topic in a lot of ways you're translating culture yes right that's a really short way of putting a very long sentence so shout out to you for that that's what I used to to come up with these things like what are you doing what are you doing a job I translate culture make sure people understand things that might not be palatable to them boom that's what I do yes yes Um, and so that's what you feel like you do okay so as far as the ethnicity thing I did not know this was a deal first of all I didn't know that you weren't black I mean, it's such a confusing thing, I guess, in a, in a sense of I don't really know what that means to different people. I don't assert myself in blackness because I know how much black women need to be represented mm-hmm. for who they are and as a black woman looks. Mm-hmm. And so I think for a very long time, people who look like me took up the space of blackness publicly. Mm-hmm. And that's not what a, what a black woman looks like. Right. So I don't want everyone to stand there like I'm 5'8", right? right? I'm not very tall, but I'm tall. Right. But I wouldn't go to a tall convention and speak on stage right. and be like, I know what it's like to be a tall. I'm pretty short. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm a pretty watery black person. Right. So I'm a supporter. I'm a part of the community. I'm an advocate. But no, I would never put myself as the face of blackness. And like the way that Mandy and Wheezy, for example, feel so comfortable with that. I always just think of the person who's going to look at me and be like, yeah, but her experience is not my experience. Mm. And so when you take up that word and say that I am a black woman, like I'm I'm putting us all together in a group where in that like my experience is probably very different than yours. Right. And every experience I have with blackness is positive. Right. I mean, it's only been privilege. It's only been community. It's only been magic. Like I've never really experienced as far as I'm aware, like true negativity, aside from what any other person of color would experience. Right. Right. And so. 
so I guess what happened was when, if people didn't see it, she said that, Lonnie said that, and then they were telling her that you weren't white because she said it's for white people and then you yeah. weren't white. And then basically, if, I, if I'm if i to be understood, she said that you weren't black. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay, which is true. Yeah, I mean, yes, I'm mixed with black, so... Oh, you're mixed with black? See, I don't know. Like, okay, I'm yes. like, Okay, so tell me, what are you mixed with, sister? So my parents, my mom is half black, half white. Okay. And oh. my dad is Guyanese, but like majority of that is East Indian. Right. So like the like Trinidad, Guyana, like mm-hmm. they're sort of a mix of like several different my cultures. Man, uh, uh... Oh, my, thing. my man St. John, he's Guyanese. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. I might know St. John. St. John, the rapper. Oh, okay. Maybe I don't then. He's from Brooklyn. You know St. John. Maybe I do then. Yeah. You, you, you know, you're not fucking with this St. John? It's familiar. So it's maybe, familiar. So maybe you're not black. Maybe I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> maybe joking. I'm not Guyanese. Maybe it's all a lie. So, so. did you, when, when you're watching this <clears throat> and it's playing out, Yeah. what's going through your mind? You know what? Here's the thing is like, I went to HBCU, so I'm so accustomed to that. And I'm older now, too. That happened at the HBCU. Oh, oh my God, all the time. Right. I would say, like, I'm, the number one question I used to get in Baltimore would be, like, are you black or white? Yeah. And you're like, we uh, need to know. Both. Well, I'm say- what, what, what I'm saying <laughs> I is, get what they're... In, in, in the South, we need, like, there was time. Now it's different. But back then, we needed to know. Yeah, but. We just need to know. I mean, I'm at an HBCU, and so, I mean, and that's the thing, too, is that, like, my parents, whom are both look like me, but just dark, darker and taller, like, they took me to school mm-hmm. and they dropped me off. And my track team later on was like, oh, I thought you were white. I'm like, you guys saw my parents. They're like, right. those were your parents? I was like, this is the weirdest conversation. Right. Uh, I said, bye, mom and dad. You were right there. Mm-hmm. But I think that, like, yeah, there's just, I'm so accustomed to it. So mm-hmm. that part doesn't really bother me. I think also, too, I'm, I have the benefit of age where I'm not as in need of acceptance from a night. 18 year old online or or Lonnie for example mm-hmm. it doesn't actually matter to me if you see me as black or don't black it doesn't actually change a lot about my life so mm-hmm. I don't fight for either way I was just like it's just interesting because I've just been through that so many times I'm a big fan of the show so it kind of hurt from that standpoint mm-hmm. just to be discredited and what's fascinating is like through research afterwards of looking into what Lonnie does she actually did literally what I did on a segment on the reel she held up cue cards for a woman whom like was a police officer and was really good at speaking to people with, with her uniform on. Once uniform was off, she lost her confidence. So she did that activity with her just to give her like a wingman because mm-hmm. people just need again. It's like basketball. You start off learn to do a layup very mechanically. You might need guidance. And then after a while, you're doing it by yourself. So yeah. it's like that same thing. So in my book, I worked with one girl and I did the cue cards thing with her on a date. And so it was weird that she had that reaction, knowing one, that she had done it, and two, like she also exists and works in this space. Um, we didn't get a chance to really talk about it, but I, th- I think it was just more just a joke that went wrong. Yeah, I think, yeah. The, the, the one thing about The Real is, first of all, all the ladies are fantastic. Lonnie is fantastic. I just think it's a conversation. That's what happens on TV that sometimes people don't know. Is sometimes you get caught. These are the, like your real your real people. You see them every day. Yeah. Like and you'll get you'll get caught. I mean, not caught, but you're having a conversation in the way that you would have it, and you forget that they are like people that are watching. Not saying that she feels like she made any type of mistake, but that's just sometimes how people talk on television um, when they're at their jobs, and then when it comes back, it gets to you, and it's like a little bit disappointing. Yeah. It used to happen to me like all the time because if you put a People talk about, you know, things that I say and they feel uplifted or empowered by them or whatever. But I still have conversations when I'm wrong about shit, almost like offensively wrong often. Yes. And in front of 
millions of people. You know what I'm saying? Possibly. Like, yeah, right. So, uh, and, and I'm not saying that she was wrong, just saying in that situation, she was probably just talking to them. Were you offended by that? Were you hurt by it? I wasn't offended. My first reaction, like, I cried when I first, like, got the clips in the morning before I saw it. But just because it was like an overwhelming exhaustion of the past six months of people being like, she's a vaginal fluid girl. Or I was just on the Tamron Hall show that week. And again, in my book, like I worked with six women for six months and it's essentially like Mrs. Frizzle. Like, let's try all of these incredible scientific experiments, these different methods. Let's tr- learn from different, different experts. In the end, I want to make you masterful seducers or the best version of yourself. And so a part of it, too, is entertainment. Like we mm-hmm. did a lot of things sure. that would be buzzy and interesting draw to eyes about. to the topic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, but people will take that one specific five pages of the book and be like, this is what this girl is about. And that just happened so constantly. And I wasn't as media trained as I think I would have liked to have believed. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know how to constantly come into spaces where people try to tell me who I am or what I'm about just based on the two sentences their producer told them minutes before the show. Right. That's what happens on shows too. The producers are fans of yours. The host doesn't know who the fuck you are. Right. So the producers are like, oh, there's this great girl. Let's try to find a topic to talk about her. And they have all this history of who you are and what you've done the host only hears two lines hey this is the cue card girl right. this is the vabbing girl right. and then they react and, and then so- what they want more than anything and everyone needs to know this what they want more than anything is they want the segment to work yes so whatever they have to however they have to cast you in order for the segment to work then that is what they're gonna do well remember i was on the tm tmz for vabbing uh yeah because the reason why you were on there is because i put you on there. well wheezy credit where credit's due how, Wheezy what? Wheezy was the one who was like, you need to find a way. You know what? Nah, you know what? Fuck that. Like, shout out to Wee- shout out to Wheezy. And a shout out to you too. Thank R- you very right, much. No, but what I'm saying is that the reason why I went with Vabbing is that I was just saying that, like, I knew that that would work. Yes. So I knew if I sent a camera to you and we got talking about body positive, sex positive shit and not have to sell it in the room, then you're not going to make television and we're not going to be able to advertise exactly. your book. But I tell them, if I, if I say... Yo, vabbing. I, I could. I played this shit. They were so easy to know. Like I played this shit. I'm like, if I say vabbing, putting vaginal fluids on as perfume, we lit. Right. I knew right away we lit. And so, a lot of times when stuff like that happens, you. I feel like from our perspective, because remember now, for two years, mm. I haven't had a name. Yes. For two years, I've been the Kanye guy. Yeah. <laughs> so for two years, I, I I go places. You know what I'm saying? And I'm. You know, I, so after everything came out, like I was having heart palpitations and I went to the hospital, right? Mm. This is all, all stressed out and stuff like that. I'm in a hospital with an EKG on. EKG on. I'm trying to, there's something might be wrong with me. And the nurse goes, yeah, so what really happened with Kanye West? I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I'm like, can we just get the readings back and then but I'll see, fucking walk least... you through it step by fucking step. I'm not, I, I praise God that the moment happened, but God damn, can a nigga have like a... like? But you were in the right, which is great. You know what no, I mean? right, but no one's ever wrong in these situations. Oh my, but that's what I'm, people are talking about you in a positive light. People are talking about you. You feel like people talk about with you with the vabbing stuff like this? You like guys negative? talked about it negatively. How do we talk about it negatively? Yes, they were like, disgusting. Oh my God. Obviously, Ew, Shan, some vomit, people, obviously, blah. obviously some people are going to think that's disgusting. See, yes. as a, as But a, then I become the vomit bitch. Well, well no, but, but so see. So that's but, what I cried for. It was months of that and on, months of the DMs and months of people's opinions and negativity of just being like, fuck, like either read the book or don't. But I get that's not the it world was, we live in. But it was mad niggas though, mad niggas. Even to this day, that's like, yo, you clout chasing Kanye. You didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. Blah blah blah. When we're mad, really? 
Yeah. No, like of, five. No. Like, I remember, shout out to Dame Dash. Dame, I was on the phone with Dame. Dame called, and Dame had his niggas from Harlem on. Yeah. And we were all talking. And he was just trying to introduce me to them. Dame is a real great guy. Uh, always just trying to, like, give you a different experience. And out of nowhere, out of nowhere, they were arguing with each other about something. Out of nowhere, one of the guys goes, yo, yo, and fuck you for the way you came at Kanye. And then I had to, like, yo, nigga, who the fuck you think you talking to? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, but what I'm saying is, when you're in the situation and the limelight and the spotlight is on you, my sister, my kind of sister, you got you. like you, you, I'll go with watery sister for five hundred. <laughs> right, my diluted sister. You you got to take the good with the fucking bad. Yes. Man. And by the way, those videos that you make after shit happens, I don't think that's that's not the way to handle it though, because that shows people that that shit is getting to you. Yeah, but I think that's also part of my whole mantra, right? Like, which is what? Which is showing people. Like, I'll sh- I'm going through this with you. I'm not the perfect person who's getting figuring this all out in advance or that knows exactly what to say or how to handle stuff. I mean, I'm getting better with time, and mm-hmm. you're watching that process happen in real time. And there's something about that. My dad would agree with you five thousand mm-hmm. percent. My dad will be like, "Stop putting those videos up of your acne." Like people, do, people want to think you're perfect. They don't want to see that. Where I'm just like, "No, nah, I'm a real person. I have real feelings. Like this is how I react." And there's when I watch videos of myself from three years ago, I love them because I'm like, I see my progression and my growth. I see how my delivery has changed. And like, I have every anticipation that I'll be in this space for a very long time. So I'm not afraid of the mistakes or the missteps that I have. And for people also too, I'm in a new profession, right? right? What's so fascinating is how many young people are coming in after me to be like, I want to do what you're doing. Or like, I want to create a space and intimacy. I want to create a platform myself based on that. So I saw this blog actually that this girl wrote after that whole situation to be like, it's been so fascinating to watch her because I know I'm going to go through this one day and I'm seeing exactly what I may have to face. Mm. But I agree with you. I'm, I'm sure that there probably is better ways of dealing with this, but I'm also the first person in my family, the first person I know, the first person in my group of friends who's going through this, what I'm going through. Right so. up. Maybe I need more guidance from people like yourself who've been through it, tried and tested, Man, all look, of the above. I, I'll be honest with you. I'm it, it, the, the one thing that being on TV for as long as I was on TV, and I will be on television again, guys. I just can't wait for you guys to find out what's going on. Congratulations. But, um, but the uh, first of all, wait, I just finished Central Ave, but there's more coming. It's going to be great. But um, I also did Central Ave. You know that? I knew that. Mm. Yeah, we just, we're co-workers and shit. The reason I'm in America is because of Monique Cheneau, who is the oh, shout out to EP on Central Ave. Shout out to Monique, man. Um, but uh, when I first started popping up on the show, I heard it all. Who does this, like, like it, the 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 emails that would come in, people look at the comment section over there on articles and they think that's bad. The emails that would come in were way worse. People threat people saying they're gonna show up on the tour bus and kick my ass. People saying because just different shit that I would say. Because the Kanye thing or just no, in life? no. This is okay. way before that. I remember like who is this new nigger on there that thinks oh, no. he knows everything about blah, blah blah blah. All of this stuff like this. And so after a while, I started to realize that um, it really doesn't fucking matter. And it, it, when I say it doesn't matter, it's like if you actually if if what you're doing has purpose, right? Mm-hmm. And this is for anyone. If there is actual purpose to it. I'm not talking about purpose in a divine sense or purpose even in the cosmic sense where you wouldn't even know it because you're not at the end of the ratio. Mm. If the only thing that has to be bulletproof in your life is your purpose. Yes. Your purpose has to be a tank. It has to be able to have things bounce off of it because if not, people will derail that. Yes. And they will derail it both intentionally 
And what the scarier thing is, they'll derail your purpose unintentionally. Mm-hmm. They won't even be trying to do it. So when I realized that I had actually something to say, it, it changed the way I approach criticism. Mm-hmm. I, I approach criticism, I put in two different things. Either you're trying to help or you're trying to hurt. If you're trying to help, tell me everything that I'm doing wrong. If you're trying to hurt, God bless you. Mm-hmm. When I say God bless you, I'm not mad. I'm really not mad. I'm not mad for the people that that uh, that get on there and say that I'm trying to weaponize this thing or that I have an agenda. I'm not mad. I'm not mad at any of the people that you do. I cannot even be concerned with you because every moment I spend thinking about you, I'm not. I'm both not listening to the people who are actually trying to help me, and I am not moving on with my purpose. Mm-hmm. Like there's a there's a mantra out there now to where people talk about like, yo, if you don't have any haters, you're not doing well. If you're not um like shout out to everyone who always said I was never gonna do no fuck those people don't think about them. Concentrate on the people who are affirming you mm-hmm. and who need what it is that you're doing. I'm not saying this necessarily you, but I'm just saying that like. We are really in a weird space where we get so much negative com- commentary online. Yes. That we're starting to crave it. Mm-hmm. And so for me, for just for my mental health, I have to stay on time and on track with my purpose. And that's mm-hmm. if you really believe in what it is that you're doing. So, you know, every I've never heard a bad word about you. Mm-hmm. Never. Everyone who's been around is like, yo, this is this person you have to meet. And she's that's amazing. Really nice and it's, it's true. Other than being like, blah, vomit, gross, vaginal bitch, hater. That's what they did. Look, yeah. uh, for me, for me, I, I think I think vabbing is interesting, but uh, I, I, my my goal was just to make sure that you got you did, and I, I thank you very much. That was such a joy. Question, last question. I'm going to ask. We got like eight minutes left. Rank the STDs in terms of seriousness. Uh, HPV, probably number one, because it's the most prevalent. That's the most serious one. Yeah, you got to get a pap test once a year. Mm-hmm. Um, once every two years, if you have an abnormal pap test in your previous one. If you had an abnormal one, go once every six months. Mm-hmm. Then I would say, um, I mean, like chlamydia and gonorrhea are kind of up there. They're now becoming ones that are like resistant to certain antibiotics. And so you'd really make sure you want to make sure you catch them early. So that like, resi- like, they're, like the fucking shit won't work? Yeah, yeah. I think gonorrhea has like a, a super gonorrhea that goes around now. Super gonorrhea? Yeah, but you know what? I had chlamydia. It was like the least eventful thing of my life. Like mm-hmm. people, I mean, if you Google my name, like, you know, you Google Shamboodram and like what comes up next, like chlamydia will show up somewhere in that search. And it's just like, I've had common colds that were way more eventful than that. Right. You know what I mean? Like I just basically found out, I took a pill and that was the end of that. I never mm-hmm. even had any symptoms for it. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to like, it's seriousness if you don't get tested, mm-hmm. because if it's left untreated, it can actually cause infertility, can cause a pelvic inflammatory disease. So HPV, same thing. If you don't get pap tests, mm-hmm. it can allow certain strands of it can become cervical cancer. Mm-hmm. So any STI, even HIV now, because HIV is no longer a death sentence. It's now like a lifetime illness. Um, any H, H, sexually transmitted infection or disease, it's not a matter how serious they are. It's just serious if you don't go and get it looked after. So if you said, so you, the power ranking, this is... You're still focused on this, this is power Shan's, ranking. <laughs> this is Shan's power ranking of STDs. Yes. It's leading off in number one power ranking for this... Is, is HPV, HPV because that can lead to cervical cancer. And then coming up second is what? 
I'd say chlamydian gonorrhea because it can lead to infertility. Uh, then, then, then what's third? I mean, even second is is HIV. Um, HIV second. Because especially you know it's a, a virus that right. vi- that can stay with you for a lifetime. What about syph 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 dog? Syphilis is pretty important. I mean, it's, again, if syphilis. you don't shout out to syphilis. Yeah, if you don't catch it, it's all about getting tested. If you right. don't get uh, figured out in the first mm-hmm. three months, it can go dormant and you won't find out till ten years later. Syph syph dog can be in there for ten years. Yeah, and it will show up as like dementia what when about it does herp? come back. You don't have herp dog on here. Herpes is not a big deal. I mean, for the, I speak to so many people who have herpes and I'm trying to figure it out. I mean, herpes, the greatest side effect of herpes is stigma. The social disease. It's a social disease. Yeah. But it will not impact your life at all. It will not impact your longevity or your immune system mm-hmm. like the way that HIV can. Um, and majority of people have herpes if you've had chickenpox before. It's herp, a form. Herp, herp. Yeah. Herp, herp is pulling up the rear. What can herpes do to kind of move up the power rankings? I mean, if, if you were talking to herpes right now, yeah. what would your advice to herpes be to get to become to get up here to where HPV is attached to like a major organ, you know, get like get like get like herpes of the liver or something. Yeah, like that. where that, it can turn into something. So herpes is not out. Herpes just got to change it up a little bit. It's got to, it, herpes exists in the spine, like it attaches to like your nervous system, mm-hmm. your spinal cord, and so that's a wrong it, organ. It could if it wanted to make you um, paralyzed. If that but was, does that happen? No, it doesn't. Um, so that's an, if you want to, if you'd like to motivate herpes to like herpes, if you can step hear up this, your game, if you can hear this. But it's also pretty embarrassing. I think the cold sores or those oh sores, God, they are, they're pretty... Yeah, of course they are. Of course yeah. they are. But you put it way down on the list. You, do, do we miss any STDs? Like there's trick. The What's that? Trichinomastis. Like that's the one that, that I think that like... I don't know a ton about that one, but I do know that it's like not as prevalent in North America, yeah. but it does still happen. Um, chlamydia. So Canada has its own... Uh, Canada has its own like STDs? No, trick is like more like... Trick. First world country. It sounds like something bad to have. <laughs> Man, dog, I think I got that trick. <laughs> it's like T-R-I-C-H-O-N-M-A-S-S. Trichinosis? Trick, it's like trick. It's it's trichinomiasis. It's uh, Trichinom- somebody Iasis. help me, please. All right, so that's your um. That's so when, my when you ranking. when you find out that you had the clap the clap the clap when you found out that you had that like what was your reaction like what did you do did you freak? I was in a monogamous relationship at the time you know, I mean it was in my mid 20s mm-hmm. with somebody and I didn't know at the time that they were I knew that they were Clapping a cheater in previous in pre- previous relationships right. I didn't know that they were still sexually active when they were with me mm-hmm. so it was definitely a big surprise right. they pinned it like oh I had it before I got treated I didn't know I still had it but mm-hmm. and they so they didn't admit that they was part of infidelity well some was. of those some of those diseases you can have them for a long time and not know yeah but you if you got treated more than likely and especially you have to go back like, oh he got treated well. for clap clap dog he said he got treated previous to our relationship mm-hmm. and I guess it didn't work but that's not true what was really true is that he contracted another strain of it by fucking somebody else mm-hmm. and then passed it on to me mm. listen uh, before we get out of here this has been an I don't want to end off on the chlamydia story Wait, <laughs> this is an enlightening discussion hope herpes hears this <laughs> And really gets motivated to move it up. If you had, I'm going to give you the last word. If you had, if there was one thing you could tell people um, that would help them address their sexual health and their sex lives, if there was one sort of piece of oh, advice. I feel like you're asking me to choose between self-promo and public health right now. You're going to do, the, the promo is going to come into this. Okay. So you got to promo all your shit. But like, it, it, I want I want people to take something away that they can lo- use in their everyday lives, mm-hmm. like something that you can stand on. You know what I mean? What would that be? That has to do with sexual health in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think sexual health can be sexy. 
I think that if you switch your mindset to talking about sex is the talk and it's more the conversation, it's just an ongoing, it won't become weird to ask someone if they've gotten tested, if you've already asked them a billion other things about their sexual self, just because you're curious. And so, and also it's how you ask it, right? Mm -hmm. It can be asked in a sensual way. Like, you know, like what are your, what's your practices on your sexual health? Mm. You know, how do you make sure that everything stays working the way that it does? Mm. You doesn't have to be this like, what is your status? Let me see your card. It can be something that is a natural extension of the conversation around sex that happens. And so if you are unsure of how to bring up anything in the bedroom, it means you haven't created a culture of communication mm. and that can change just by you. And it doesn't start with negativity. I think when people hear communication around sex, they think about talking about what they don't like or what they don't want to happen. Mm. Talk about what you like, your fantasies, like what turns you on, what your favorite experiences were, your wild sex stories from the past. I learned so much about you today. Mm. Um, and I don't know what your status is, but when, when was the last time that you went to a sexual health clinic? Uh, earlier this year. Well, I, I had all the blood drawn. Oh, very nice. So when I when I had all the blood drawn and stuff like that, it's like they when you have blood drawn because you're getting into like all kinds of weird health situations, you just go, hey, test it. Did you get the Q-tip in the penis? What's the Q-tip in the penis? Where they swab you Mm-mm. for no? Mm-mm. You should go get one of those. What's the what's the? I've had that before, but not recently. Yeah, that's like, is a test for the infections. So what? what like like what? chlamydia, gonorrhea. Oh, Jesus yeah. Christ! I'm gonna go get my shit swabbed after this. <laughs> Tell them where they can find you. Um, so my book, The Game of Desire, mm-hmm. is out. Lots of conversation around it, but it was Time Magazine's favorite books on dating this year. It also was Apple's Jesus. books, best book of July. It's mm-hmm. not a shit book. It's absolutely incredible. It's more than the hype. So I would ask people to go check that out. Okay. Listen, uh, real quick, we got to get out of here. This is the last podcast uh, of the year. This is the last podcast of 2019. I wanted to have the last po- podcast of 2019 um, with a black woman. I almost achieved that. <laughs> um, this is the last podcast of 2019. Listen, um, it's possible we should just say that this is the last red pill that will ever exist. <gasps> what? Wait, 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 wait. Just real quick. It's possible that this is the last podcast we will do. My career is going to look a lot different um, in 2020, and it's going to be in a lot of different places. We don't know if this is the case, but we're still working on it. If, in fact, this is the last red pill that we ever do, I want to tell you guys something very, very, very genuinely. When I first started this podcast, it's not something that I knew that I was going to be able to do. Uh, it was something that the audience had wanted from appearances that I had on The Brilliant Idiots. And it has been integral in me expanding my skill set as an interviewer um, and as a long-form thinker. The feedback that I've gotten from uh, the audience, the participation that I've gotten from the audience, every single time that someone comes up to me when I'm walking, running in an airport somewhere and goes, y'all really fuck with the Red Pill Podcast, it meant double than anything else you could mention. Because this was something that between me, Maddie, Austin, everybody back at the old shop, we really wanted to work. And it worked. One of the most gratifying feelings that you can have uh, in life is hitting your target. And my target was you guys' hearts and minds and souls. And knowing that I had some sort of influence uh, on that or some sort of, some sort of inspiration uh, that I gave you guys is ridiculously gratifying. Um, so I want to thank everyone from the bottom of my heart. And let you guys know that we will be back in some iteration at some point, somewhere, maybe here, maybe somewhere else. But wherever I'm at, come say hi. And I legitimately love and adore my culture. And as long as I have breath in my lungs, I will be a servant for you. I'm out. We should all clap.
<laughs> we should all clap. All right, man.